Hey, what's going on everyone? This is Jeff from A Series of Horrors, and we are looking for sponsors. If you are interested in sponsoring A Series of Horrors podcast, all you need to do is reach out to us at seriesofhorrors at gmail.com, or you can always slide into our DMs at Series of Horrors podcast on Instagram. Thanks. And welcome to a series of horrors, the little podcast that can for horror fans and non-horror fans alike. We do deep dives into horror movie franchises. I'm Jackie from Canada. And I am Jeff from America. And today is the beginning to our season four. We have made it, Jackie. Four seasons, four franchises. I'm like, wait, is this only four? Yeah. <laughs> it feels like it's been a long journey, mainly through paranormal activity. <laughs> yeah, it didn't help that it was six of those movies. Didn't help. But now we're no. on to a shorter franchise. The way we're going to do it is going to be a shorter franchise. If it's in the whole universe, we'd be here for a lot longer. We had, today we are starting the Conjuring franchise. Not the universe, no Annabelle, no Llorona, no none. Just the three Conjuring movies that are currently available. Conjuring 2013. That was the problem when I was trying to Google the Conjuring to get my fun facts. It just kept on being like, the devil made me do it. And I'm like, no, not that one. The first one. And there's not anything in addition that I can write. So you understand. Then I was like, wait, the date. When did this come out? <laughs> When was the first time you saw this one? I saw this one maybe like when it first hit like home movies and stuff like uh, cable, HBO, whatever it was on. That is when I first watched it. Well, I'm a big fan of James Wan because I saw, you don't know, go back to our first season, the Saw movie. Huge Saw fan. So I love anything, almost anything James Wan does because going back, I didn't like Dead Silence anymore, but still. (laughs) Yeah. Everything else I've loved. So I watched it around that time. This is his first film without Lee Winnell at all. all, all on James Wan's own. Had he done the Fast and the Furious yet? Mm-mm, this was his first one. All right. Huh. Yeah. Or at least according to fun facts. Maybe that fun fact was wrong, but what I read, this was his first one. The fun facts wouldn't lie to me. No, I'm all. <laughs> Except for, you know, about the Menendez brothers and murdering people in Fright Night. But anyways, yeah, I saw this movie for the first time in theaters. I think I've mentioned with my best friend, Yael, who we wanted to join us today. But sadly, because we're off of our schedule, she was not able to fit us into hers. So alas, maybe we'll see her another time down the line because she is my horror movie watching buddy before I met Jeff. Yes. So yeah, we'd love to meet her and have her join us. Uh, now, another movie in this franchise, another movie in a different franchise that maybe she likes. What are your initial thoughts about this movie, watching it again? I hadn't watched it since I, for all, this is only my second viewing of it ever. So after watching it again, I remember it being scarier than it is. Yeah. I remember when I saw it in the theater, it felt like it was nonstop and that things kept on happening. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, and things are happening during the day. Things don't happen during the day usually. Ah! <laughs> I was. The first time I watched this, I was really scared of it. That kind of just went away with rewatches to the point that when I rewatched it at this time, I was like, mm, I have I have problems with this movie now. <laughs> yeah, I don't have problems with it, but I'm just like, ah, oh, it's rather slow hmm, at certain parts. It drags a little bit. It drags. And then also, I've just, the more I learn about the Warrens, the more I hate this franchise because of how they romanticize them. And I'm like, mm, no, 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 that's not good. See, I'm okay with that because I know these people in the Ed and Lorraine in the movie aren't Ed and Lorraine for real. So it's to me, I'm like, all right, they're what happened in this movie isn't really what happened either so I could kind of in my brain I could kind of separate that this is more fiction than fact sure 
But that's us in the know who've done the research, whereas your average movie watcher sees based on a true story and then sees the pictures of the real people at that. And they go, huh, I just watched a true story. This is who these people were. And this is what happened. At this point, whenever I hear based on a true story, I always think that it's not or it's mainly just more entertainment than anything else. Yes, I learned that the hard way when uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out and what was that, 2003? The remake, yeah. Yeah, the remake, sorry. I watched that with my friends and it starts off with based on a true story and the I think they call him James Hewitt in it and they're like, he's still at large today, he was never caught, whatever. And my friends were freaking out. They're just like, oh my god, this horrible murderer with a chainsaw is out there. This is terrifying. And I was like, okay, I'm already starting to be obsessed with true crime at age 13 or whatever it was, I'm going to start Googling this and trying to find the real case behind it. And There isn't one. Yeah, there's no real case. And the best that you can come up with is Ed Gein. And I was like, that's nothing like this movie. Okay, cool. Also, he was caught. Yeah, I think he spent the rest of his days locked up. Anyways, I digress. I still enjoy this movie overall, but I had more problems with it than I originally did. I fall back to the good acting. It's a good script. It drags a little bit, but they're setting mood. And I think since I've seen it already, I know what's coming, so I'm not tense. Because I think that's what it is. It's very throwback to late 70s, early 80s movies. Mm-hmm. Like, even the way the credits, the title credits, you know, font time, the font. Like, <laughs> there, I saw so many movies like this as a kid, like with this font treatment. That weird yeah. yellow block of text <laughs> as everything of so many horror movies and non-horror movies, just movies in general. Just, we're, we're just all like that. And those movies, those molasses, a lot of those old 70s movies because nothing happens. And then by the time stuff happening, it's not really that much. Yeah, definitely. The 70s movies are more of a slow burn and this kind of takes after that for sure. And I know that James Wan was very inspired by 70s movies and that's what he was going for. So I guess good job. Yeah, because if you go by the Amityville movie, the original one, mm-hmm. which I think was 80 or 81, it's nothing happens. Like, you spend a whole lot of time of this dude with his beard and his sweater just, like, <laughs> treating his family like crap. And cutting wood. <laughs> and cutting wood. And chopping wood in the back, and that's about it. Until, like, they leave. And then they leave, because even when they're haunted, it's not really that bad. Nothing like when <laughs> Ryan Reynolds is there shirtless in just pajama pants for no reason. <laughs> hey, the entire you know movie. what? I was perfectly fine with that in the remake. Okay, well, from Ryan Reynolds' abs to this movie, let's get into it. (laughs) Yes, because there's so many connections to Ryan Reynolds' abs. Yeah, they reference Ryan Reynolds' abs at least 16 times in this film. Did you not know? (laughs) Luckily, I have you here to tell me when. I'll tell you all the points. (laughs) I think the closest we get is um, Josh, no, John, uh, James, Dad Brolin, and is also wearing a sweater like Ed Warren in this movie, and that's about it. (laughs) Okay. I was just like, Josh Brown? No, James Brown's not in this. What? What are you talking about? It was a roundabout way. I left Ryan Reynolds behind. The abs do nothing for me. I'm sorry, Ryan. I'm, I'm sure you ate a lot of chicken cutlets and steamed <laughs> broccoli and stuff to get them. A lot of sit-ups. But still do nothing for me. And James, Josh, Jimmy, Kevin. <laughs> Papa Thanos, you know? <laughs> yeah, Papa, yeah, Thanos' dad, Brolin. He's in the original one, and he wears a lot of sweaters. I think... I have like that exact same gray sweater. <laughs> yes. Oh man! So you could wear it while watching Amity. Yeah, just... with my beard, I'll just sit there stroking my beard and my sweater. I'll cover the beard part. How about that? I'll have the beard. Okay, you okay. have the sweater. <laughs> All right. Well, this movie 
Let's jump in first to a little bit of true life fun facts. So the house that this whole haunting is based on, in real life, it had eight generations of families that lived in it before our main family of this film, The Parents, moved in. There were plenty of deaths in the house. This included two suicides, a poisoning, the rape and murder of an 11-year-old girl, two drownings, and the passing of four men who froze to death. So most of the deaths occurred within the Arnold family, from which Bathsheba Sherman, the villain, quote unquote, of this film, was descended. It's a lot of dead people, not for nothing. It's a decent amount of dead people in that house. Yeah. And the the murder thing, definitely not a good time. This movie also, fun fact, was rated R, but only based on the scare factor as there's no sex or nudity, there's very little profanity, it's tame and mostly bloodless violence, and there are only brief depictions of alcohol with no smoking. Just too scary that they had to rate it R. I think that's it for my fun facts until we get into the movie. Oh, also, Bathsheba, their villain in real life, she was not found guilty by the courts of killing her child, and she died of natural causes. None of this fucking witch bullshit. Oh, which is one of the things that really aggravates me in this film. Okay. <laughs> really? Make it interesting for... We'll get into it. Um, All right. Okay. The film opens with a dark version of the Warner Brothers logo and with this like foghorn musical theme is what I call it. The theme alone is actually still pretty creepy. I think that it holds up. It's very ominous. I don't remember it, so I'm going to say sure. <laughs> Look it up after this. The movie starts with a woman's voiceover on a black screen, and she says, It scares us just thinking about it. When you hear it, you're going to think we're insane. Ed says, Try us, please, from the start. With a click, we get a shot of a porcelain doll's cracked like eye, and her face is all distressed. We slowly pan out from her seeing more and more of this creepy-ass porcelain doll. The woman is explaining that things started out small, like the doll's hand or leg was in a different position, then its head would be looking up instead of down, then one day it was in a completely different room, it was moving around by itself. Ed asks if there could have been someone else with a key to their house playing a prank on them, and the camera cuts to three people on the couch. There's a brunette, a blonde, and a blonde woman, uh, and then one young man who has curly hair and sits hunched staring at the floor and never says anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he just sits there. He just sits there. He's never even referred to. The whole story that they tell is only the two of them, and it's like, why is this dude there? It makes no sense. If you read the real story of Annabelle, it makes sense, because he was a key factor in the hauntings. I don't know if it was a different version I saw the first time, but in my brain, I somehow have it that that's like a boyfriend and the doll was jealous and trying to kill him. That's the real story-ish, right? Like, the doll really didn't like the boyfriend in the real story, and so he said that he got a really bad sense from the doll, and then one time he was, like, in a room with it, and it had moved on its own, and then he got scratches on his back or chest, I forget where. He blamed the doll for the scratches, and then one night he was sleeping there, and he woke up in the middle of the night and the doll was at the foot of the bed and it crawled up his chest and tried to strangle him which is really ridiculous when you remember that the real Annabelle doll is a 
Raggedy Ann. So just picture like a Raggedy Ann army crawling off someone's body and trying to strangle them with their little cloth hands. Maybe that's what I have in my head. I have maybe the real story conflated with this. And I did see the first Annabelle movie. Um, does that happen in that one? I don't know. No, they, j- they have this little intro segment that's pretty much the exact same. I don't think that it's any different. And then they go into Annabelle's life before that and how the doll became Annabelle. But then you find out in Annabelle creation that that's not the case like there there was shit happening with that doll even before that i don't know it's just this franchise is like how do we make more money let's take one small idea and expand upon it and it will be vaguely creepy the first time we show it but then we will make it worse and worse <laughs> until it is not there at all so we just take this one creepy thing that has nothing to do with that movie and just give it its own movie mm-hmm. i remember annabelle being in this movie as much as she is i did i remembered all the parts with annabelle but. I remember the intro part and then the part with the reporter guy and I thought that was basically it. I remember something about oh. the daughter going to the room, but maybe that might be part two that I'm throwing into here. Yeah. She does go into the room in this one. Yeah, I remember her going into the room when her parents aren't there, like, like actively sneaking into the room. Back to this version of Annabelle. So I was asking if they think that someone's playing a prank on them and coming into their house. And the Bruno that tells him that that's exactly what they thought at first, but they never found a sign of an intrusion. And I'm like, minus this doll moving around your house? Like, what what signs of an intrusion? Because he asked specifically, could someone have had a spare key and been coming into your house? And they're like, that's exactly what we thought. And it's like, okay, so why would there be signs of a break-in if they had a key to your apartment? And then you're like, there's no signs of anything being changed except that our doll keeps moving. Maybe it's just like nothing else has gone on. Like, hey, there's nothing, there's nothing missing. Nothing else has moved. Yeah, but what if it's like a jerky friend or maybe you have a really messed up landlord who just wants to fuck with you about it all and comes in and moves that doll. And wants you to move out. It could be a thing or it could be like that dude's fetish. He's just like, I like to scare people. And so I'm just going to move this doll so they can be scared. Okay. A Chiron comes on the screen. It reads Annabelle Case, year 1968. Lorraine asks if they this all led them to believe that the doll was possessed and they say yes. This is a quote. Camilla got in touch with a medium and they learned that a seven-year-old girl named Annabelle Higgins had died in this apartment. She was lonely and took a liking to my doll and all she wanted was to be friends. They say that they're nurses, so they, that's why they felt really bad for her because they're nurses. They, they like helping people, so it's a little girl that needs help. So I can, you know, I can forgive it. it. Makes sense in a way. They, it's just that they wanted to throw in here that these these are nurses and therefore that means they're logical people or something like that i that's what i feel because this just i didn't take it that way at all it felt out of place to be like let me explain i'm a nurse and that's why i want to help people and it's just like you could just want to help people i like helping people i'm not a nurse <laughs> see i took it totally different i took it that hey we're nurses so we feel bad that a little girl needed our help so we decided to help her out because we're helpful people Maybe. Maybe I'm reading into it too much. They both work. Yes, they both work. So they gave her permission to move into the doll. Ed's all, wait, you did what? I don't know how how anybody would have ever thought that would be a good idea. I don't get it either. It's like, oh yeah, like, we've always wanted a child. Why don't we let this ghost possess this doll instead of giving birth? Oh, she wants to move into the doll, so we think it's okay. We'll just live with this ghostly doll. Like, oh yes, you can move into the doll as I take you to Goodwill. They explain that Annabelle wanted to live with them by inhabiting the doll and then we cut to the doll that's sitting in a chair as if she's part of this whole conversation like (laughs) she's just across from them sitting there like yep that's what happened 
right, maybe it's just because we just finished doing vampire movies. So if they didn't invite Annabelle in, she wouldn't be able to enter their house and bite them on the neck. I think that the Warrens say that it's not a ghost or whatever. It's a demon. And so the demon was already there in theory. So then them inviting the demon into the door. It was just acknowledging it gives it more power is what they say. They say when they agreed the ghost moving into the doll, things got worse. We then cut to a scene of the two women coming home and they're laughing. Then there's a piece of parchment paper on the floor by the door. And in red crayon and childlike handwriting, it says, miss me? Question mark. Nope. Don't miss you. Nope. <laughs> Did not miss you at all, Annabelle. <laughs> not even a little bit. They look up and they see that Annabelle, the doll, is sitting in the hallway looking at them with a red, like a bunch of red crowns around her hand and like red crown marks inside the doll's hand. The voiceover explains that they found her in the hallway, but they had left her in the spare room. And I'm like, wait a second. How big is this apartment that you two, they just said that there were nurses here, but the real story is they were nursing students. So you two students can afford a three bedroom place with a spacious living room. What? What? And really, you're going to give a doll their own bedroom? Yeah. What? Apparently, they have this very spacious three bedroom apartment that they can afford on their student salary. The blonde turns to find that the spare room's door is open a jar and there's a light flickering inside. She opens the door to find that the room is completely trashed. The light's coming from a tossed over lamp. There's red crayon all over the walls and their framed pictures are all broken, particularly broken and like scratched over the blonde's face. Then on the ceiling, it says, miss me in the same handwriting that the note was written in. Apparently the notes were a thing that they kept on finding and they were on parchment paper, but they didn't own parchment paper. So they were like, where's this parchment paper coming from that they're writing notes on? Which further makes me think that someone was playing a prank on them because they're just bringing this parchment paper from home. So Annabelle would go to the store, buy parchment paper. Mm -hmm. She would go to the store and just like rip off a scrap of parchment paper and like hide it in her little dress and then walk away. (laughs) Or like, did she produce it like ethereally from the other plane? She just would bring parchment paper from their 99 cent store. She pulls an Andrew, I am calling you parchment paper from the ether. (laughs) That was our What We Do in the Shadows reference for the week. Of course, you know that they're just all going to come. Furthermore, I now have a new cat that is named Gizmo after Guillermo from what we do in the shadows. So the references will never die. I'm going to say it's Gizmo from the Gremlins. So it's me. I know you will. That's why I told you that. (laughs) That's why I told you he is technically named after both so that you wouldn't disown me. Yeah, yeah. So not disowned, and I and I can sleep on that. That's it's all even, and everybody wins. Oh, especially Gizmo. Yes, cute little Gizmo. Yeah. So they're in the room. They're like, "What the hell?" It says, "Miss me on the ceiling," and they're like, "We still didn't miss you, bitch." But then a red crown rolls towards them from Annabelle. Debbie, the brunette, grabs Annabelle and she runs outside to throw her in the dumpster as the blonde Camilla calls after her, telling her to wait. And it's like, wait for what? You have a possessed ass doll? I want the answer to that question, though. Wait, we have to tell her that she needs to clean up her mess, okay? She can't keep doing the shit. She needs to take care of this. She will never learn if we just clean it up for her. She needs to learn for herself. Mom, she has to pull her own weight in this house. She has her own room. She needs to pay rent. She screwed up her own room. She needs to deal with that, okay? We have a landlord we have to deal with. There's a deposit on the line. Come on. <laughs> uh, we then cut to the middle of the night, and there's this pounding knock at the door. 
Debbie is asleep in her bed and we cut to the hallway. The knocking gets louder and more urgent. Camilla pokes her head out of her room and then Debbie does as well. Camilla turns on light and Debbie heads to the door. She slowly opens it and looks into the hallway, but there's no one there. She then finds the crumpled up miss me note that she had thrown out with Annabelle on their doorstep. She turns to Camilla with a note, and then there's a loud knock that comes from the closed door right beside Camilla. She opens it up, and she gasps. We then cut back to Annabelle sitting in on their conversation in their little meeting. Debbie is saying that they are beyond terrified, and they don't know what's going on or what to do, and says that they can help. Firstly, there's no such thing as Annabelle. There never was. Lorraine cuts in and says, ghosts don't possess such power. I think what we have here is something extremely manipulative. It's something inhuman. Ed says it was a big mistake acknowledging this doll and through that the inhuman spirit tricked you. You gave it permission to infest your lives and then he clarifies that an inhuman spirit is something that's never walked the earth in human form. Something demonic. Camilla asks so the doll was never possessed? And Lorraine says, no, it was used as the conduit. It was moved around and give, to give the impression of possession. Demonic spirits don't possess things, they possess people. It wanted to get inside of you. Winky face. Yeah, winky face. Hey, hey, inside of you. Inside you. Inside you. And then I was like, okay, then how does taking the doll away get rid of the demonic spirit wanting to possess them if it isn't in the doll? I'm very confused. And then we cut to them in a lecture hall and they try to explain this to us. Aha! No no reason to be confused. And Lorraine, they got you. Yeah, except that their explanation still has me being like, okay, sure, sure. So it's revealed that they have this footage playing on a projector and we get our first introduction to Drew, who's their lackey, <laughs> who does all the things for them. And they're like, turn it off, Drew. We then see somebody in the crowd and they're holding a pamphlet and it says, Seekers of the Supernatural. Ed explains to the hall that they sent a priest over to do a blessing on the home and the occupant. Occupants. Whatever was oppressing that apartment was no longer with them. Wow, that's how easy it is to get rid of a demon? Say a little blessing? Gone. No more demon. And we'll just take this doll with us, even though the doll cannot be possessed and it was only this demon that was trying to get after you and would be in the apartment and wouldn't be with the doll. And then the doll is going to continue to be evil, even though, once again, we have confirmed that it has nothing to do with the doll. But apparently something is trapped in the doll and we're just going to take it with us and put it in an actual display case. I just, the plot holes, but like, this is real life. This is what they actually did and what they believed, even though they're like, yeah, it has nothing to do with this doll. It's just a conduit, blah, 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 blah. But also the conduit means that it's evil itself and therefore needs to be locked in a case. <sighs> Freaking con artist, man. Anyways. Are you going to be okay? Be okay. <laughs> Will it? Will it be okay? I don't know if it will. The nursing students are doing okay now. Do we know that for a fact? Where are they today? Uh, I don't know. It's been since since 68. No, we have not. Or maybe Annabelle or Malekith or whatever just came back to them and... um... Yeah, exactly. They're dead now and they've been turned into dolls. I have a weird question that has nothing to do with this movie. Mm. All right. Since I haven't seen, I, I, well, I saw the first Annabelle movie, but I forgot the rest. My question is, 
Do they call them the doll Annabelle in those movies too? So like that little girl named Annabelle died in every house that doll was in? Because they got the Annabelle name from the, the medium for the for the nursing students. So the other movies take place before this one. Mm, only one of them takes place before it, which is Creation. And I don't remember if they call her Annabelle or not. No, no I think the first one takes place before too, because that's how that the doll was supposedly was possessed before it was actually possessed, how it was possessed in Creation. That's when she, she was possessed by an actual Annabelle in the first movie that they make, like chronological order of making movie, not chronological logical of when they take place in this universe. The first movie, yes, it's about before the nurses got the doll and that's when she gets possessed by their neighbor's daughter who's like Manson girl type figure who dies and possesses the doll and her name was Annabelle Higgins. But then they also like further reveal that it's just like a demon that's manipulating the doll in that movie as well and they show the demon moving the doll and all that stuff and I'm just like this makes no sense. So it's both haunted by an actual Annabelle Higgins but also not and then there's creation which is like before any of that happened but the doll is still evil I no, it being evil is fine. I'm, I'm, I accept the evil. My question is, is it also called Annabelle before the nurses got the doll? The movie is called Annabelle Creation. I can't remember if the people in the movie call the doll Annabelle. And I haven't watched it, so I don't know. I have watched it. It was a very long time ago. And while I will admit that I remember it being better than the first Annabelle movie that came out, it was not so great that I actually remember it. Fair enough. All right. That was my question because now me watching this movie after knowing that there's a universe around it, because when I first saw it, there wasn't even a Conjuring 2. So it was just this and nothing else. Mm-hmm. But now when they try to circle back and add things in there, I also have questions later about when, when the nun connects to this movie, how that works. That isn't until the second movie, isn't it? The nun shows up in the second movie. The guy that the nun possesses at the end of the nun shows up in this movie. I haven't seen the nun. Ah, uh, that's why. Uh-huh. Yeah, the nun, at the end of the nun, they defeat the nun, but it has a very exorcist type ending where it says, possess me! And it, like, jumps into somebody else. And who's that person? Actually, no, it actually has a fallen ending, if you've ever seen Fallen. It has more of any like that. Um, they have it trapped, they have, they basically have the, the nun trapped, and it has to possess somebody, because they can't live outside of not being possessing something. Mm-hmm. So it jumps into somebody. And that's later who they're doing the um, exorcism of. Oh, Maurice. Of Maurice. is Maurice is in The Nun. And that's who oh. gets possessed at the end of The Nun. Okay. But then when they go into Maurice's childhood history, it's not, this, it's not the same history as Maurice in this movie. That's annoying. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll get to Maurice. Crazy old Maurice. <laughs> yeah. You can't answer my question, so I'm sad. It's okay, though. I'll get over it. You, you can Google it while I say this next part. <laughs> I can. I won't, but I can. So someone asks where the doll is now. Lorraine says, someplace safe, and gives a coy smile to Ed. Then someone else asks what they are and what people call them. And Ed says, demonologists or ghost hunters, paranormal investigators. Lorraine jumps in and says, kooks. Ed says wackos and Lorraine comes in and says, but we prefer to be known simply as con artists. I'm sorry. I meant as Ed and Lorraine Warren. And these aren't the real people. This is, this is like a, a idealized version of cookie cutter version of these people. Yes, because they signed off their life rights. So they the, they actually had in what they signed, they made sure that there was agreements of 
They were not allowed to be depicted doing anything criminal or anything um, with um, like sexual with a minor, like very specific things. They were like, we cannot be seen doing this, 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 this. And they're like, OK, yeah, sure. Well, it turns out that they did all those things in real life. And that's why they were like, we can't be depicted doing these things. We just need to be shown as Christian, holy people. Just fair, I guess. If somebody wanted to buy my life rights, which believe me, boring, uh, nothing happens. Hey, we, we talked earlier. You could be a couple of sitcom episodes at the very <laughs> least. <laughs> I would say, hey, you know what? Let's, let's get a couple things here. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't do the other thing. You know, I, I could see me doing that. I mean, yes, but like I wouldn't be like, oh, I committed all these crimes and you can't talk about that. Oh, I would. I'd be like, listen, I can't all these crimes. If you want if you want these rights, boy, can you have to gloss over this stuff? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm a truth seeker. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, hey, I know the truth. You know the truth. But if you want to tell people the truth, we have to lie to them. That's just the way this is going to go. I guess. And you can only hire an attractive actor to play me. It'd be another thing. Yeah. Ed Warren looked nothing like Patrick Wilson. Nothing. nothing. Boy, boy, to get upgrade. That's great. That's uh, yeah. I, if my life ever gets cast in a movie, I want that upgrade. Just saying. <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. The freeze frame of Ed and Lorraine at their lecture hall into this like black and white printed photo, and then yellow text scrolls over top of it. The text reads. Since the 1960s, Ed and Lorraine Warren have been known as the world's most renowned paranormal investigators. Lorraine is a gifted clairvoyant, while Ed is the only non-ordained demonologist recognized by the Catholic Church. And you know, you've got to trust the Catholic Church. <sighs> Out of the thousands of cases throughout their con- controversial careers, there is one case so malevolent they've kept it locked away until now. Based on a true story, The Conjuring. Dun, dun. 70s font rolling, I think, from down up or up down. Yeah. We then cut to a window that is looking over trees, and they have there's sheer, sheer curtains in the window. The whole room slowly comes into view as the lights grow brighter, and the camera pans towards the window. Children can be heard singing, and a car is pulling up with a moving van behind it. The text on the screen reads, 1971, Harrisville, Rhode Island. The camera focuses on the car out of the window, and there is a young family inside of it. They park, and the kids go silent. The dad quips, hear that? Mom says, I don't hear anything. He says, exactly. Enter Peter from the office space and Eleanor from the haunting. (laughs) They will be known in my notes as Papa Pete and Mama L. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So the family of seven pile into the house, the four youngest clamoring to choose their rooms. The eldest, Andrea, being sassy and asking, does she at least get to choose her room since she didn't get to choose to move? And she does get to choose her room, right? I think so. But she's the only one that gets to have her own bedroom. Everyone else shares a bedroom. Because yeah, there's 19 kids in this house. It makes sense. It's, it's fair. 19 kids and counting. Yeah. <sighs> too many. Too many children. I mean, for me, one is too many. So, you know. <laughs> And it's all, there's like five girls. or it's five, Yeah, five girls, man. Yeah, he's just, you know, King Henry VIII over there. 
the dad tries to get the, their dog, Sadie, to come inside the house, but she whines and refuses to come in, so he leaves her outside. Cue then the moving montage that is very typical of the 70s horror movies where they have the whole montage of them moving into the house. This one is set to Time of the Season by the Zombies. We follow one of the girls and find out that it's Cindy as she walks from the front hall through the living room, dining room, and into the kitchen, giving us a glimpse of the layout of the main floor. Mama L asks her to get April, the youngest, to come in as Cindy hangs a wind chime out on the back porch. We see an ominous tree in the backyard with a very gnarly big branch. So the prop masters, the people that make things for movies, (laughs) they made a 50 foot tall tree for this movie. So that is not a real tree. They made it. April is sitting at the base of the tree and she's saying that she found a toy there. We cut to a shot closing in on April as she opens up this music box toy with this creepy little tune that it plays. It has a mirror and a clown that pops in and out in it and the mirror has a spiral on it and it spins as you look at it. Now, would the spiral in this mirror be a Saw reference? Huh. Yeah, perhaps. Because this is also the first movie apparently that uh, James Wan did not have a Billy the Puppet reference in. Yeah, because I'm thinking this part might have been a subtle Saw reference. And why do kids like such creepy toys in horror movies? Like, I don't know. I don't recall liking overly creepy toys as a child. I'm trying to think of like a toy that was creepy that I had, and th- there was none. Creepy toy you, you find in a tree. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm just going to play with this all day. <laughs> But like beyond that, so she's like, look what I found. And she starts playing with it and she's looking in the mirror. And as she's staring into the mirror, she sees something behind her. You can tell like she turns around and looks behind her and then sees it's not there and looks back into the mirror. And then it's like, cool. And like gets up and leaves with her music box in hand. At her age, I wouldn't be saying cool, but all right, just, just going with it. She didn't say cool, not technically, but she was just like all happy and like, it's like, Okay, that happened. I saw something behind me that wasn't there, and that and that's awesome. I'm going to continue playing with this toy. But anyways, we then cut to the three middle children, Christine, which is a young Joey King. You may know her from other things such as the wonderful miniseries The Act about Gypsy Rose and Dee Dee Blanchard. So she's blindfolded. Cindy and Nancy spin her in circles as they count. Then they run off to hide. The dad is complaining that they didn't finish the pizza and it's expensive feeding them. So this is setting up that they have some money troubles. Christine keeps the blindfold on and starts looking for her sisters in one of the creepiest games of childhood that I've ever heard of. I never played this game. Did you? I n- not only have I not played the game, I never heard of that game before this movie. Yeah, exactly. So I, Hide and Seek was a thing for sure. Yeah, that I played. But Hide and Clap, that's just setting things up to be creepy. <laughs> and the mom says something here that I was like, how are you going to play this movie? Well, this game. Well, the game Hide and Clap, in case you didn't see this movie, is mm-hmm. basically Hide and Seek. The only difference is the person that's looking for everybody is blindfolded. Yes. You spin around for really no reason, and everybody goes to hide. To disorient them. They already can't see. Yeah, but you put on a blindfold and you know what direction you're facing it, right? So you're like, okay, yeah. I go straight this way. But if you turn the person around, they aren't exactly sure what direction they're in. Yeah, so they, they spin them around and they allow three claps, ask for three claps, and you clap, and that way they'll use the sound to find you. How they've lived in this house 20 minutes, how they're already playing this, and there's boxes everywhere, and there are, and there's a second floor and a staircase, and all this stuff that's potential dangers, and they're like, hey, and the, the mom just says, it's not, you don't know this house, and you can't play this game, mm-hmm. and they totally ignore her and keep on playing, but yeah. 
Yeah. I'm with Mama L and you. Doesn't make sense to be playing this game on the first night, but, you know, they had to for plot development. Because I mean, the clap game did get me when I first watched the movie many years ago. Yeah. And the dog thing got me more this time because I didn't have a dog. When when I first no. saw the movie, I had one now. So that got me more That's fair. than it did last time. Poor pup. But okay. So yeah, Christine trips over a box and that's when Mama L tells them that they shouldn't be playing this game in the house. They don't know it well enough. Then Christine asks for the second clap and Cindy only mimes clapping and her mom calls her out on it saying that that's cheating. Meanwhile, Nancy claps from the closet. Christine finds Nancy in the closet and she jumps on her, knocking her into the closet's false wall, knocking down a plank of wood. Then Papa Pete comes over to inspect, being like, what the fuck did you break now? What is wrong with you children? You're so expensive. Ah! There's five of you, I can't believe this. What's wrong with me? Yeah, exactly. He's just like, what are we, Irish? I don't understand. <laughs> so he tells Nancy to go and get the matches, and then Papa Pete takes down the rest of the planks, and he lights like several matches at once, which I've never seen someone do. Like I have seen someone do, but like not just to light their way. I don't. I don't know. I've seen this. Okay. Several matches he lights and he looks down into the basement. There's a staircase and a light switch. He tries to hit the lights, but it's not working. He goes down and he finds a piano right at the base of the stairs. And then he finds piles of other stuff all around the basement. His match burns out. And then he comes back up, leaving the matchbox in the closet and telling the girls not to go down there. We then cut to Papa Pete and Mama L getting ready for bed. Sadie the dog is barking away in the yard and they mentioned that she's been acting off ever since they got there, wouldn't even come into the house. And Papa Pete says that he just left her outside on her chain and she'll be fine. Mama L thanks Papa Pete for making him making this work. And side note, the reason that she's saying this is in real life, a mother, her real name's Carolyn. Uh, she bought the house on a whim and didn't tell him about it because he was away on a trucking trip. And then he came back and she's like, so I did a thing. So I bought a house. Ta-da. Ta-da. And turns out it's super fucking haunted and it's going to traumatize our family for life. What do you think? Perfect. Love the idea. Whatever you say. <laughs> so she then asks him if he wants to christen the new house. And I, I, I then wondered for the first time in my life, why do we call having sex in a place christening something, which is like the opposite of like what Christianity totes? <laughs> We then cut to the next morning. Mama Elle wakes up with a really bad bruise on her shin. She puts on a robe and she checks on the girls. They're complaining that it's cold and she agrees. Andrea is complaining that the toilet doesn't work and that there was this awful funky smell in her room last night. It smelled like something died. And Mama Elle asks, is it still there? She's like, no. She's like, problem solved. Very typical mama answer. I loved it. Very, very fair. <laughs> mama Elle then notices that the grandfather clock in the front hall stopped at 3.07 a.m. and then she sees the door to the basement is open. It's Papa Pete. Mom, Mama L joins him downstairs in the basement as they spray all the weird stuff and furniture that's down there in the basement. There's tons of it. Mama L picks up a ball and throws it at Papa Pete and she plays three notes on the piano. Then she goes off to make some coffee while he works on trying to get the furnace working. Mama L then notices that the clock in the kitchen also stopped at 3.07 a.m. And April comes running down looking for Sadie. She tells her that she should go outside because probably ready for Sadie's mealtime anyways. Papa Pete comes up and April like throws this doll at him and he's like, cool, great. Great, it's Annabelle. Here too. Yeah. There's a lot of just like subtle moments that I really like in this movie because they feel genuine. Like that yeah. just like 
hi, dad, you're here. Yeah, you hold this now. Bye. <laughs> I'm doing something else. <laughs> he and uh, Mama Al have a quick conversation about like, what did you do to me last night? Look at this bruise and the clocks are all stopping at 3.07. That's weird. And then they start yes. hearing April screaming bloody murder. They head outside and trigger warning friends. The dog is dead. Very sad. We then cut to Ed giving a reporter a tour of their little room of horrors that will be referred to as the haunted room from now on. He says everything in the room is haunted or was used in some sort of evil ritualistic practice. Nothing's a toy, not even the toy monkey, because there's like one of those monkeys with the symbols. (laughs) Yeah. Now, my question about this is, Mm -hmm. did they not have like uh, storage places back in the 70s because or 60s or whatever? Because if you just get like a storage place, keep all that stuff in there and have that thing blessed once a month and not have this in your house, would that not be a good idea? Yes, that would be a good idea. Not sure if they existed. Also, like, then they couldn't charge people to come into their house. True, because I wouldn't want people in my house. I don't think the storage facility would let them have an exhibit there and, like, charge people to come into it. No, but they're good-natured people. All they want to do is make sure this stuff doesn't bother anybody else. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> that's what that's that's who they are in the movie, anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> Totally not con artists just trying to get money for anything and everything. Totally not. No, totally not. They just, they're good people just trying to make sure this stuff doesn't infect, uh, possess anybody else. Uh, so not true. Okay. Anyways, he warns the reporter not to touch it. Um, then Ed. Also, sorry, I was going to say something else beforehand where like it's just like the evil monkey. And because they never go into the story of what this evil monkey is, all I could picture was that it's the same evil monkey that they used to torture Cooper from Eurotrip by like clapping his balls with the monkey at Club Vondersex. Do not remember that part at all. Then again, I haven't seen that movie in years. Uh, I just rewatched it, but I would remember that anyways. Like, there's this whole scene where he, like, is like, I want a freaky sexual European experience. So he goes to this club and it's called Vondersex. So he thinks it must be, like, wonderful orgies, whatever. Turns out that it's a super kinky place and the safe word that they give him is in, like, German or something. And he doesn't know how to say it at all. And so they are just, like, torturing him. And one of the things they torture him with is a toy monkey that claps. (laughs) And it's just, like, clapping his balls. Anyways, yeah, so there's that evil monkey there. And then Ed says that a priest comes by once a month to bless the room. The reporter asks, why not just destroy the items? Ed explains that that would only destroy the vessel, and then that would free the evil. Sometimes it's better to keep the genie in the bottle. The reporter then asks to see Annabelle, and I'm like, they show her, and I just... I have questions. So these people are very Christian, right? And very anti-occult? Um, they seem to be very Catholic, but I don't see them to be very anti-occult. What do you mean? Like, they're like, witches are evil, and like, that's how you get demons, and uh, like... But I don't see them really... They just... They're taking it more as an academic thing. Like, hey, this is... This is more like, you know, this is how you get ants. You know, if you leave a mess out there, you get ants. You know, if you possess, if you, possess, if you worship the devil, that's how you get a witch. Yeah. I don't see them as, I don't see them as against it so much as it's just like, it's very matter of fact in the movie about this kind of stuff. I have things to challenge that later, but we'll get to those points. But okay. Okay. What do you call it? My question is on Annabelle's case, they have the devil tarot card. And that seems very like strange in comparison to what they tote. Why do you have tarot cards? I, that's fair. But alas, 
that that is what is on Annabelle's case as well as a sign that says like absolutely do not touch or something like that. It says that they have to take great precautions to ensure that these evil spirits don't latch onto them. The reporter asks about Lorraine and Father Gordon told him and then Ed interrupts him saying that was different. What happened to my wife happened during an exorcism. Judy, their daughter, then sneaks into the room and Ed makes their and I was like housekeeper, but then it turns out to be her grandmother, take her away upstairs. He's warning her that she can't come into the room no matter what and she can't touch anything. Ed then closes the door and it has several locks and signs. The signs include the Warrens, consultants of demonology, witchcraft, danger, do not touch anything, and then a magician tarot card. Don't understand, but okay. Maybe it's because the other one, maybe because Lorraine is like clairvoyant because she seems to be the less religious one of the two, I think. They're both very religious. I don't know. Like, she's all, like, know. every five seconds, she's like, God brought us together for a purpose, and this is it. I think, I, when she's saying that, I'm just saying that, because that's going to get to him. I think that she's quite religious. She is always holding a rosary in her hand, so that seems pretty religious to me. But anyways. Could be. Hmm. We cut to Lorraine and Judy, their daughter. They're in the rocking chair. Lorraine is brushing her hair. Ed comes in with some tea. They discuss that the reporter seems to be a non-skeptic for a change, which is nice. Ed then spaces out and Lorraine butts in to say, stop blaming yourself. And then they have an exchange about there not being sugar in the tea and Ed goes off to fix it, which is kind of cute. Like, I love this version of Ed and Lorraine Warren. They seem like a really nice couple. But yeah, that's why I'm like, it was like oh, they're kind of like the real people were, but not these guys. Yeah, these characters are perfectly fine. I wish they weren't called Ed and Lorraine Warren because it's just misrepresenting what an asshole Ed was. <laughs> Like, he was just this womanizing, abusive man. Many people talked about how he used to beat Lorraine and all sorts of things. But Patrick Wilson would never. Him having an underage lover that lived in their house and all this stuff. He was a pedophile. Like, not a good guy. The real Ed Warren, no. Patrick Wilson, fine human being. Yes, Patrick Wilson's great. But, like, don't name it after this piece of shit. And It's like doing a movie about... Ted Bundy, but like instead he's Prince Charming and perfectly wonderful and you know we're just going to skirt all over the murder. Those didn't happen. Like uh, He's just misunderstood. You don't get it. Some, uh, I'm sure if we look right up there might be a movie that's, that might take that line. I, oof. Mm, but I, I think I agree with it. I'm just <laughs> it just irritates me so much because these people are so fake and lovely but like also I liked the dynamic in this movie of their love and whatever. Yes, it's there. Yes, it's present. Yes, there's a couple times that it's a little bit much, but it's not always like the main thing that's happening. And then I feel like the rest of the Conjuring movies really focus on like, this is really just a love story with ghosts as well in the background. <laughs> no. But In the well, movie, yeah. they seem like the couple, kind of couple I would not want to be around. They just seem like they'd just be always too much all over each other when it's like, whatever. I'm like, all right, I get it. You love each other. Fine. Just, we're at Applebee's. Leave me a seat. This, <laughs> this is the time for this. The type of couples that like, they go on a date with just the two of them and they sit on the same side of the booth. Exactly. Yeah, one of those. We then cut to the parents' house. There is a cross outside of it with the lady's name on it in their front yard. It's nighttime. The front hall clock stops at 3.07 a.m. Christine is sleeping on top of her covers. Suddenly, something pulls at her feet. She tells off Nancy, who says she didn't do anything. Christine isn't convinced and then tells her to stop farting as well because it really stinks. Nancy says that it's not her and it's obviously Christine. 
cut to static on TV, and then a well comes into view. Samara crawls out and asks, didn't you miss me and my regularly scheduled ring references on this podcast? No? Okay. <laughs> oh, man, I should have tied it back to, didn't, didn't you miss me? Like Annabelle says, she says she left you a note. No. <laughs> Samara's is just like leaving notes, but it's just like random chirons on your TV programs instead. <laughs> like, miss me? I don't have close captioning on. Why does this keep showing up? It's not even what they're saying in the movie. <laughs> so Papa Pete is asleep at his desk and is woken up by three loud bangs. He hears more knocks, then a door creaks open. He turns off the TV and goes to investigate. He hears three loud knocks down the hall, then the door to the mud room, I think it is. I'm not sure. Next to the kitchen opens. He finds that there is an open window in there, so he kind of guesses that's why the door opened. He hears more knocks. This time, they're coming from upstairs. He turns up the stairs to find Andrea standing in the middle of the stairs in your typical horror movie, creepy, old-fashioned white nightgown because that's all people own in horror movies. That's all people sleep in. Come on, these long white nightgowns. I have never had a long white nightgown in my life. Neither have I. (laughs) Sure, sure. I'm sure. (laughs) I just picture you like Scrooge McDuck in your uh, white gown and your nightcap. My nightcap. With the the candle and everything, just like Mm -hmm. handshaking. The whole bit. Old man Jeff with his candle. Yeah, and I don't even, yeah, I don't, I don't even blow out the candle. I use that little cup. Yep, I have one of those. Do you see that? I've never even seen one of those. But. Andrea in her nightgown. Uh, she explains that Cindy is in her room sleepwalking. They find her banging her head against the armoire in the room. Andrea says that she remembers that she wasn't supposed to wake her up. And Papa Pete agrees, saying they just need to get her back to bed. We then cut to the next day. Mama Al and Papa Pete are talking about Cindy's sleepwalking. And Papa Pete notices that there's another terrible bruise on Mama L. They agree that she should go see a doctor. And I'm just like, wait a second. Aren't they super fucking poor? Can they afford for her to just go to the doctor about bruises? She then tells him to drive safe. We've seen previously in the backyard that there's like a big rig truck. So we, we know that he's a trucker vaguely, but they, I don't think they really say it until later. Papa Pete leaves and he sees a pigeon fly into the house and die. We then cut to the four old, oldest girls and they're catching the bus to school. Mama Elle is waving them off. We cut to inside. April is talking to someone saying that she misses Sadie and that Sadie was her best friend. Then she exclaims, you're my friend, right? Let's play. Mama Elle comes in and she's like, who are you talking to? I'm Chucky. He just wants to play and be my friend. Just, you know, two twin girls that keep on appearing down the hallway and saying that they want to play forever and ever. That's it. Yeah. Uh, No, she says that it's Rory. He's my new friend. Do you want to see him? She hands Mama Elle the creepy ass music box and tells her when the music stops, you see him in the mirror behind you. She turns the key and the music plays and she waits. When the music stops, April jumps in and yells boo, and she scares the shit out of her mom. (laughs) Then April asks to play hide and clap because she never gets to play. And finally, like, the mom's like, okay, yeah, sure, I guess I'll play with you. And so she reminds her that she only gets to ask for three claps. And then she blindfolds her, spins her a bit, and runs off to hide. Mama Ella then heads to the landing in search of April. She asks for the first clap. She then runs into the banister and asks for the second clap. She follows it into Andrea's room, calling out for April. 
the armoire doors then slowly creak open. And she says that now she knows where April is and she asks for her final clap. Two ghostly pale hands outstretch from behind the clothes and slowly clap. Mama L goes over and she says that she can hear her breathing, which like you hear this like creepy, raspy breathing. She creepy. Yeah. She reaches through the clothes and she doesn't find anything. Disturbed, she removes her blindfold and begins searching more through the closet. Then April appears behind her in the doorway. She says that she won because mom wasn't supposed to take off her blindfold. She wasn't even close because she was in Christine and Nancy's room. Cut to nighttime and Papa Pete is home with his big old truck. He's on the phone negotiating a new job. He says that it will take him to Florida to see Jeff. Even though Jeff was not there in 71, but you know, whatever. Still, you could wait around. I'll show up. <laughs> He'll be there for a week. And then we cut to Christine in bed again and something pulls her feet. She tells Nancy to stop. Then it happens again and she fully wakes up and sees that Nancy is still asleep in her bed. She cautiously looks under her bed and there's nothing there, but she sees the bedroom door start to close. And then she calls out for Nancy, sitting up in her bed. Nancy wakes, and Christine asks if she can see someone behind the door. But Nancy can't see it. Christine says it's looking right at us. Nancy gets up and goes to the door, saying, See, there's no one here. Then she complains that the horrible smell is back. And Christine says, Oh my god, it's standing right behind you. We hear this ghostly breathing, and then Nancy slowly turns to look behind her. The door suddenly slams shut. The girls scream. Mama L and Papa Pete run over and the door sticks for a moment before they're able to get in. Christine is hysterical, saying someone was in there. But Papa Pete says no one's there. He checks behind the door. She tells him someone grabbed her feet and he says it was just a nightmare. And she says, no, it talked to me. It said that it wants my family dead. We then cut to the Warrens house. Judy and Lorraine are feeding chickens. Ed says he's going to the store and Lorraine calls him out on trying to lie. Ed says that Father Gordon called with a case and he's going to go check it out himself. Lorraine says that she's going with him and she knows that he's worried about her, but it's not going to happen again. He says that he is worried about her. She asks if he remembers what he said to her on their wedding night, which he responds to with, can we do it again? After that. (laughs) Yes. She laughs and says, after that, you said God brought us together for a reason. We then cut to nighttime at another house. Ed and Lorraine are debunking the couple's haunting. Um, And I wrote, how unlike them? So they explain to them that like the weird noise that they're hearing is just floorboards expanding and like creaking. And that's it. It's not a haunting. And a breeze and some cold weather and the pipes are bad. It's just a whole bunch of excuses as to why you would hear strange noises in your house. Yeah, but not a ghost. But not a ghost for once. See, look, they didn't take everybody's money. <laughs> yeah, like in this fake version, sure. Jackie, why don't, why don't you want to believe in love? See, no, this is just... I do believe in a thing called love. Just listen to the rhythm of my heart. <laughs> okay. We cut to the parent house. Mama L has more bruises and she takes prescribed iron pills and she looks worried. She begins folding laundry in her bedroom when she hears clapping. She calls out that the girls are up way past their bedtime. She checks their rooms and finds all of them are in their beds. Suddenly, all the pictures hanged on the stairway fall down. We hear a child's giggle as they fall. The clock then strikes 3 a.m. and there is another clock. Mama L wanders around the main floor calling, who's that? Behind her, the door to the basement creaks open and she hears someone play the same three notes on the piano that she had played earlier when she had first gone down to the basement. 
Wearily, she goes into the closet and she turns on the light. First the light in the closet, then the light in the basement. She peers into the basement from the stairs. She says, whoever's down there, I'm going to lock you in now. She turns to exit the closet and the door slams shut, hitting her in the face and knocking her down the stairs. Oh, this is rare roof. Yeah, it looks like such a painful fall. I felt so bad for her. And um, any point from now on in the movie, I was like, no wonder you're covered in bruises, lady. Like, oh. <laughs> Yeah, because that tumble down the stairs gave you a couple, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm surprised she didn't break something. She hits the piano at the bottom of the stairs, and then she looks around the basement with tears in her eyes, and she's terrified. From behind all the junk in the middle of the basement, the ball from before that she had thrown to Papa Pete is thrown towards her. She makes a run for it up the stairs, and the light bulb bursts as she goes. Here's my fun conjuring story. So, as I mentioned, I saw this movie in theaters with Yao. And then I came home. So, my parents were... I forget where they were. They did some trip somewhere and they were gone for like a week or two. And I was alone in the house. So, I get there and then I'm like, oh, it's time for me to clean the, the cat box. I have to go downstairs. So, I go into the basement... And our basement is really creepy. Our basement, we believe, is haunted. And we see weird things in there all the time. But I go down to the basement and I go to turn on the light in the room where the cat stuff is. And it bursts just like this light. And it was just like, oh, fuck no. That's it. I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, I ran all the way upstairs, ran outside and like called my friend and was like, you come over now. <laughs> I'm scared. But anyways, back to this movie. She screams for Andrea. We hear childish giggles again. She grabs and lights some matches sitting at the top of the stairs, peering into the darkness below. The matches burn out and she lights another. A voice behind her says, hey, want to play hide and clap? Two hands then shoot out beside her and clap, extinguishing the matches. This scare got me so bad the first time. Yeah, I remember this getting me when I first saw this movie. It's a good one. Mama L screams and we see the closet door rattling from the outside. We then cut to Andrea's room. She is asleep in her bed and we hear the repetitive thumping of Cindy knocking her head into the armoire. Andrea turns on the lamp and goes and ushers Cindy into her bed saying that she can sleep with her for tonight. As she tucks her in, the armoire doors start to bang the same way as before, but now it's doing it by itself. Cindy sits up in the bed as Andrea walks towards the closet or the armoire and she's blankly staring. Andrea opens it and she sees that no one's there. Cindy then gasps and Andrea looks to the top of the armoire and a creepy ass ghost thing sits on top and jumps down onto Andrea as she screams. Fun fact. So this, we find out later that this is the ghost of Bathsheba, the witch, whatever. This was actually played by the same man that plays the lipstick demon in Insidious. Lipstick demon? That's like the Darth Maul looking one? Yeah. Fun facts. It's the same dude playing a woman here, which hey, that made me think- do it well. <laughs> Which then made me think of Home Alone, where they casted... What's his brother's name? Buzz? Bud? I forget. Bud. I think it's Bud. Yeah. They casted his girlfriend as, like, a boy because yeah, John Hughes thought it would be too cruel to, like, make fun of a girl for being ugly. So he just dressed up a guy as a girl so that it wouldn't be as cruel. So that's what that reminded me of. It's like, oh, we need a really hideous woman. Well, we don't want to, like, make fun of a woman. So, okay, we'll get a dude and make him super hideous. And still make fun of a woman because they're still making fun of a girl in the scene. Yep, exactly. I don't know, but 
that's what it felt like to me. So Andrea is screaming as the thing jumps on top of her. Papa Pete is just getting home. When he hears the screaming, he runs inside. He lets Mama L out of the closet and then they both book it up the stairs. Cindy is running towards them, screaming, help, it's Andrea. They run into her room and turn on the lights and Andrea is rolling around on the floor, fending off an invisible attacker. Papa Pete asks, who's in here? What happened? Somebody, goddammit, tell me what's going on here. He is totally right to be this way because he literally just showed up from coming to visit me, apparently. And yeah. then he, oh, he's just screaming from the, second, from the front yard. And yeah, he's like, what the fuck is happening in this house? <laughs> I leave for a week and it's in shambles. What's, what the hell? So <laughs> They told me not to have daughters. They told me. <laughs> no, I didn't listen. Because it's something I could control. It is. <laughs> okay, we pan out from the house from there. Then we cut to voiceover from Ed saying, Fear is defined as a feeling of agitation and anxiety caused by the presence or imminence of danger. A Chiron comes onto the screen. It says Massachusetts Western University Wakefield. Ed uh, then continues, whether it's a ghost, a spirit or an entity, they all feed on it. They cut to footage from Maurice, a French Canadian represent farmer with a third grade education who was possessed and spoke perfect Latin while possessed. He could even speak it backwards. His background was that he was molested and tortured by his father repeatedly as a child. Ed says a dark spirit made its home in this man. Lorraine says if you look into his eyes, you can see them tearing blood. Then an upside down cross started to appear from within his body. They then cut the footage. Someone asks if Ed personally performed the exorcism, and he says he's not authorized to do that. But he has assisted on many of them, and exorcisms can be very dangerous, not only for the victim, but for anyone in the room. Him and Lorraine exchange this, like, glance of knowingness. They say Maurice shot his wife in the arm before shooting himself, and they explain the three stages of possession. Infestation, oppression, possession. Infestation, that's the whispering, the footsteps, the feeling of another presence. We then cut to a shot of the real Lorraine Warren in the front row of their lecture. Ooh, didn't know that. Yeah, it slowly pans in or zooms in on uh, Mama L, who's sitting at the back of the class. Ed continues, which grows into oppression. The second stage, this is where the victim, and it's usually the one who's the most psychologically vulnerable, is targeted specifically by an external force. It breaks the victim down, crushes their will, and once in a weakened state, leads them to the third and final stage, possession. We then cut to Ed and Lorraine packing up their car after the lecture. Drew brings over Mama L and tells them that she wants to talk to them. Lorraine asks how they can help. Mama L says, there's something horrible happening in my house. Could you come and take a look? Ed starts making excuses and she says he doesn't understand. I have five daughters who are scared to death. I'm so afraid this thing wants to hurt us. I mean, you have a daughter. Wouldn't you do anything you could to protect her? Please, please, can you come and take a look? Lorraine agrees, of course, that they'll come. We then cut to them pulling up to the Perrin house. The family is watching the Brady Bunch when the Warrens knock. And this is where Lorraine is first seen like holding her cross between her fingers and dangling. And this is why I'm like, I think she's fucking religious. Why would she always be holding a rosary if she wasn't? I don't know. She just was had some crazy thing in the possession. And I mean, uh, exorcism. It might make you a little bit more religiously or hold on that crucifix a little bit. Did, did they ever go into what happened behind the crucifix in the exorcism? Um, ish, but like not. She doesn't give details. 
It just says it takes a big piece of her. I don't know. Hopefully they're going to maybe next week or the week after. Perhaps. They come in and they're greeted by Mama Al and Papa Pete by the door. And I have to say that Vera Farmiga's like very subtle acting in these like the scene here is really great because she's reacting to something that we aren't seeing yet. And then later we see it. So you just like see her face drop and like her eyes grow wide looking at something over their shoulders but we don't see it yet yeah, she's a very good actress she's a great actress I loved her in Bates Motel never watched it oh, it's so good I mean overall it's so good There, it drags like most TV shows at certain points but overall really great show really loved it so Lorraine moves into the living room and asks for an introduction to the girls again Vera's eyes say absolutely everything as she's looking around Mama L is explaining that they are all camping out in the living room to sleep because the girls feel safer and it's warmer. They are constantly turning up the heat, but it's always freezing. Papa Pete interjects that it's not a problem with the furnace. He's checked it thoroughly. The Warrens silently split up for a second and they're checking out different areas of the house. Mama Elle says it's gotten worse the past few nights. An awful smell of rotting meat that moves around the house. Lorraine joins Ed by the staircase and Ed says rancid smells could indicate some kind of demonic activity. He then rattles a set of doors that have the handles tied and Papa Pete explains it's to keep the doors from banging at night. He demonstrates them knocking three times and says it does that all night long, just like that. Ed confirms that it comes in threes and stops at dawn. He says sometimes it's meant as an insult to the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is like why I'm further like these people, um, maybe because it's, it's my beliefs. I don't believe in Christianity. And like thus, I'm like, why are ghosts only ever against Christians? And that's how they can be like prevented is like, oh, just throw Christianity at them and everything will be better. <laughs> Going by the movie logic on this one, she was the devil side of it. And so it kind of made sense for who was possessing the house because that's what she believed. We'll get into their whole witch bullshit in a bit. <laughs> so, no, that's another story altogether. But, you know, she believed in that stuff and wanted to go against religion. So it makes sense for her to be mocked in this one anyway. Yeah, I guess. But anyways, I just generally have a problem with that when it comes to hauntings and haunting movies and vampire movies. We've discussed that, though. <laughs> so Papa Pete says that they also have all kinds of birds flying into that side of the house and breaking their necks. Mama L pipes in the clock stop at 3.07 a.m. every single night. So then Lorraine picks up an awfully photoshopped picture of the family <laughs> from the hall table. I don't get it. They couldn't just take a picture. Right? Like they have this footage of them running on what actually looks like a beach, but maybe it was just like a sandy set with a blue screen and, or like a green screen in the background. And you just don't notice it as much when they're running. But still, they could have gone and spent a day at the beach taking a picture. Yeah, exactly. But no, instead, just really poorly photoshopped them like in front of what looks like the Microsoft background from 2007 or whatever. Like, yeah, from I think it was the XP yeah. one, the, the rolling green laser. Yeah, I, don't know about. I don't get it. And I think they filmed in North Carolina or South Carolina and they could have driven to a beach one day. Absolutely. Or like it didn't even have to be a beach. It, they just needed a blue sky. So they could have just panned up and had like anywhere outside with a blue sky. Yeah. They already had all the actors. Like, I don't get. Like, I don't get it. They, and they knew they needed the pictures in the script. I don't get why they get this terribly photoshopped thing. I, I really, I can't give you an answer. 
it's just I guess James Wan is really a fan of terribly photoshopped family pictures. Then Mama L explains they were hanging all the pictures by the stairs, but something kept knocking them down, so they stopped hanging them up. They point out the armoire in Andrea's room, saying it was there when they moved in, and there was also a lot of stuff in the cellar. Lorraine asks to be shown the cellar, and then we cut to her standing in the dark cellar with her eyes closed, and she's hearing all these various screams and voices. Ed asks if she's picking anything up, and Lorraine says, something awful happened here, Ed. We then cut to them at the kitchen table. Mama Ella is pouring them coffee, and Ed asks about her bruises. Mama Elle says that it's some sort of iron deficiency that she has. Ed asks, with everything going on, why have they just not moved? And Papa Pete says that all their money's tied up in the house and no one's going to take in a family of seven indif- like indefinitely. I agree. Probably wouldn't. Very true. I wouldn't. So, yeah. Ed then starts to record them, asking Mama Elle to explain from the first incident on. She starts with the clocks. We cut to Lorraine and she's talking to April and asking her about her imaginary friend. April says his name is Rory. He lives here too. He's always sad. Lorraine asks, why is that? April says he won't tell me, but I think something bad happened to him. Lorraine asks if she can try to see Rory and April gives her the music box. She turns the key and pans the mirror around to see behind her. Eventually, she sees a little boy in old-fashioned clothing for a second behind her, and then he's gone. Lorraine turns, and no one is behind her. We then cut to her going out to their backyard. She walks out by the tree overlooking the dock, and Ed follows. He says, hey. Lorraine then hears the creaking of a rope. She turns to see someone's feet hanging from the tree right behind Ed. She almost faints, and Ed grabs her. Lorraine, Ed, Mama L, and Pete sit down to talk. Papa Pete is saying they bought the house at auction, so they don't know who the previous owners were. Ed says they both feel their house needs a cleansing and exorcism. Papa Pete is confused. He thought that exorcisms were for people, not places. And they kind of skirt this one like, well, yeah, but still, this place might need it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Mama L says that they have to get out of there, but Ed says that won't help. He starts giving the usual explanation like, people are haunted, not places. Ed says that Lorraine saw something and she explains that she saw the dark entity that haunts their house and your land. We cut back to Ed and Lorraine by the tree. We see the full figure of a hanging woman like hanging from a noose off of the tree in an old-fashioned white dress. Lorraine says she first saw it when she entered the door. It was latched to their backs. We cut back to them greeting the Warrens at the front door, and Lorraine is seeing this dark cloud behind them. And then I saw it again with the girls when we walked into the living room. We cut again to see the dark cloud behind the girls. Lorraine says, it doesn't matter where you go. This dark uh, energy has latched itself to you, to your family, and it's feeding off of you. And then they have this whole like stupid analogy about it being like gum. Sometimes you step on gum and take it with you. And that's what it's like with a haunting. Which is the only movie I've ever seen this in. Yeah. In the places on it. Besides Sinister. Sinister because... No. And I, I guess th- Paranormal Activity. Yeah. This is a common lore of like... If it's a demon, the demon is haunting you, not the place, because it wants to possess you. For possessions, yeah, but this is like a haunted house. Usually a haunted house, the house the house is haunted, right? This is both a haunted house and a possession movie, though, right? Yeah, because she does get possessed later, so yeah. Lorraine continues, look, I gotta tell you, you have a lot of spirits in here, but this is the one I'm most worried about because it is so hateful. 
Papa Pete asks if they can call a priest. Ed says, no, it's not that easy. They need the church to authorize an exorcism first. That means they have to investigate and gather evidence to provide proof. Ed asks if the children were baptized. Papa Pete says, no, they are not churchgoers. Ed tells him that he might want to rethink that. Their presence could make things worse because they're a threat, quote unquote, uh, and whatever you're dealing with isn't going to like us. Thinking very high of yourself, Ed. So far, it hasn't done anything violent. And I'm like, wait, what? It hasn't done anything. What about the whole like mama falling down the stairs and then like the thing jumping on Andrea? Like it seemed a little violent. But, th- but that's not that violent. Because so. <laughs> technically, she didn't get pushed on the stairs. All they did was close the door. In her face. It slammed she- it on her face. It's not the ghost or the demon's fault that she's clumsy. That's all I'm saying. Ed says they're going to have to have their guy do some research on the house. We then cut to the Warren's house. Judy got a locket for Lorraine and a matching one for herself. Inside of her locket is a picture of her parents. And inside of Lorraine's locket, it's a picture of Judy. She says that she misses them, which implies that they really don't spend time with their child, which is true. Apparently, Judy did not live with them. And here they're always out being parents to other kids. Mm -hmm. If I know anything about this one and the next one. Yeah, that's how they play it here. But yeah, no. Ed then shows Lorraine Mama L's voice didn't record on the tape recording he took earlier. Lorraine then shows Ed pictures of the parent house from when it was first built and goes over its spooky history. So it was built in 1863 by a man named Judson Sherman. He was married to a woman named Bathsheba. She's related to Marytown Estee. She was one of the women accused of witchcraft in Salem, and she was hung during the trials. And I'm like, okay, pump the brakes right there. We all know that the Salem witch trials were fake and a mass hysteria. There were no witches. So, like, how, what, why, why does this count? Why did, why do we care? Because we didn't know that back in 1971. But we did. Maybe we didn't care about that in 1971. <laughs> this is what I mean of like the very just like if the word witch is used, it means bad. In a movie, more likely than not, yes. It really irritates me because A, all of the people who were murdered in the Salem witch trials were not witches and they were murdered for no good reason at all. Those poor, poor people. And then furthermore, if you go by what witches actually are, like people that practice Wicca, it's just about like positive energy and like loving the environment and (laughs) manifesting things through like meditation really i have i bought like the spell book for the aesthetic and every single spell is like okay yeah sure like put these things in a bowl and burn them but really all you have to do is sit in front of the bowl and like think on the thing that you want and will it into being so it's the exact same thing as meditation but with burning incense practically (laughs) Witchcraft is not an evil thing. Just mm, anyways. But movies need villains and, you know, they go easy. (laughs) It's just, it's ridiculous. I just really found this part ridiculous of like, oh, well, she's related to someone that was hanged and murdered for not being a witch. And therefore... in the movie, I think the movie alludes that that person was actually a witch in the movie. (sighs) But she wasn't. Well, I'm not, in reality, see, there's the real world, and then there's this movie. So I think it's the movie that, like, she was. So then she cursed the land, and everybody dies. And crops can't grow, and um, it's always cloudy. <laughs> and whenever, With a chance of meatballs. And no matter what you do, there's not enough sugar in your coffee. No matter how much <laughs> sugar you put in there, it always tastes bad. 
you know, it's like, oh, curse the place. Some really evil shit, you know? <laughs> exactly. Hold on. Wouldn't that mess you up? Like, if no matter how you fix your coffee, it never tasted right, no matter what you did. Wonderful. It just reminds me of Scary Movie 3, where, like, <laughs> it's just, like, explaining how their child, I think they call her Tabitha and that instead of Samara, but was, like, really evil. And, like, he's like, you know, drowned puppies, hid the remote, really sick shit. Exactly. I know. That's that's hard. That's a terrible thing to do to somebody. Because mm-hmm. now I can't even get up to change the channel. Like there's no there's no buttons on the TV anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's very true. But anyways, okay. So Bathsheba married Judson, and they had a baby. And when the baby was seven days old, Judson caught her sacrificing it in front of the fireplace. She then ran out to the tree by the dock, climbed up on it, proclaimed her love to Satan, cursed anyone who tried to take her land, and hung herself. The time of her death was pronounced at 3.07 in the morning. I just, this whole entire fucking scene is ridiculous to me. I was okay with it. Just the imagery of like, he goes in and, oh no, she's trying to sacrifice her child by the fire. And then she's like, no! And like runs out and cl- scales a tree with a rope that she somehow like got in the process of this, like after sacrificing her child. Like she just had a rope on hand and had already tied it into a noose, which is a complicated knot, let me tell you. I've learned. Scales that tree because there aren't many low branches on that tree. So that that's a feat on its own. And then Hank proclaims her love for Satan. <laughs> Because you got to do something when you're up there. (laughs) And then hangs herself. Like, and Chris is all the land. Like, it just... I, w- I know why they didn't show this scene because it would have been too humorous if they actually showed it. Oh no, I would have looked so. There's no way to make this look good. <laughs> because it's just, it's so batshit and whatever. Okay. Ed then says that would explain a few things. Lorraine pulls out another set of photos. This time it's a woman standing with Rory opposite a picture of a baby. She says her last name was Walker. She lived there in the 30s. She had a boy named Rory who mysteriously disappeared in the woods. Then she killed herself in the cellar. And that's not all. She pulls out a map of the land and she starts pointing at different areas and she's like, so what was the original 200 acre farm has since been subdivided and sold off. There was another boy who drowned in a pond here and a woman who worked as a maid in a neighboring home. She committed suicide too. Ed says people who took her land. Then the tape recorder turns on by itself playing the interview with Mama L. But in place of her voice, there is low demon growling. The camera then pans over to the clock. It is 3.07 a.m. That entire explanation that they gave us made me hate this movie a little bit. We cut back to Ed and Lorraine and their crew is arriving at the parents. Lorraine introduces Drew to Officer Brad. Drew teases him that he can't shoot ghosts. Ed tells him to take it easy on Brad and ask for help setting things up. And then we get some amazing Dead Man's Bones songs playing in the room where you sleep is the one that's playing. I love this song and this band. It is led by uh, Ryan Gosling. (laughs) He is the singer of the band. They're really good. I enjoy them. No idea about this. Yeah, I already listened to the band and like liked them before this movie came out. And then when this song came on in that scene, I grabbed Yellow's hand. I was like, oh, I love this song. Such a great song. They have very, I think it's because it's Ryan Gosling. So he works in movies like their songs are very cinematic sounding. And it's perfect for a scene like this. I don't know. Like, it just sounds like it belongs in a movie. They set up cameras and thermostats and bells all around the whole house. Ed asks what's wrong with the Chevy that's parked in their yard. And Papa Pete says that there's a lot, but he's holding off on repairs right now. 
he did just buy a house. You know, he money's tied up with 19 children. You know, it's kind of rough. <laughs> and, you know, 86 ghosts. So he has a lot on his plate right now. Okay. But anyway, that explains that when there is a drop in temperature, the thermostat triggers the camera to take a picture. Papa Pete asks if that actually works. And Ed's pretty sassy right now. He's like, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> Don't mess with me. I know what I'm doing, right? Yeah. Uh, Papa Pete then asks why they're setting it up uh, by the tree in the backyard. And Ed says, this is the place where the witch killed herself. And then the dad like looks up and is like, Ugh. Papa L, uh, sorry, Mama L and Lorraine are chatting inside. Mama L asks how a mother could kill her own child. Lorraine says it was never a child to her. She just used her God-given gift as the ultimate offense against him. Witches believe it elevates their status in the eyes of Satan. Can you hear my eyes rolling in my head because they're rolling so hard? <laughs> I actually can hear him rolling. Yeah, I, I figured as much. Lorraine grabs Mama L's hand as they put the poorly photoshopped picture on the mantle. She can see the girls running on a beach. She says it was a nice day at the beach. Mama L asks how she knew. Lorraine explains she has an insight. Mama L goes over this whole sappy story behind the photo and how her family means the world to her. And that day at the beach was the perfect day. And blah, 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 blah. Drew is sort of flirting with Andrea and showing her how the UV light works by making her put her hand on the table and then shine the UV light on it to show the residue of her handprint. Ed then asks Drew if he has the bollocks ready, which I don't know what that is. They don't explain it. Then they hear a bell ring and watch as a door slowly opens. Then it turns out it's Brad coming out of the bathroom. He's like, what? I had to go. Which I'm sure was probably having a bunch that evening because, you know, not like they were mm. going to go outside. Yeah. <laughs> Brad is probably one of my favorite parts of this movie. I really enjoy him. <laughs> Me too. I enjoy Brad. Like, I think you're supposed to not like him, but I end up liking him a bunch. Yeah, exactly. The skeptic. He's he's the good one. <laughs> they are recording audio from all of the different rooms and they check to make sure that it's all coming in clear and Drew confirms that it is. Ed then unpacks his mini ghost hunter slash it looks like a vampire kit. It has a ton of crosses and holy water. <laughs> You never know what's going to be in the house. Maybe it's a ghost. Maybe it's a vampire. Maybe a werewolf. You know, it's just... It's, Gotta be prepared. prepared. You have to be prepared. Exactly. He went to that special kind of Boy Scouts where they prepare you for this. Yeah, he didn't learn how to camp or anything or build a fire. What he learned was cross his holy water and, um, I guess, prayers to do exorcisms. Yep, apparently. But uh, he tells Papa Pete that the religious icons stir up reactions from anything unholy. Then Papa Pete asks, like, holding a cross up to a vampire? And Ed says, yeah, exactly, except I don't believe in vampires. I'm like, okay, Peter Vincent, whatever. A bell rings again, and Brad says, it wasn't me. They watch the basement door open. The camera goes off. Flash camera takes a picture. Ed tells Brad to grab the video camera, and they start rolling. Ed and Lorraine are standing in the closet, and Ed starts this narration of all right it's 918 we're headed down into the cellar where the door just opened on its own i have lorraine and officer brad with me let's keep the cellar light off then he gets down there and he's like give us a sign you want to communicate with us he walks around with the microphone trying to like catch something then lorraine it shows lorraine's doubled over and ed asks her if she's all right she says there's definitely something there Ed says, okay, close the door, move something. <laughs> Lorraine says, my hands are so cold. It was like, yo, come on, bro, do something. You're just going to sit there and not haunt me? Come on, it's what I want. That was what I was going to say, but he didn't say that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly the vibe of him. He's just like, 
I, I can't think of someone else who did this, but like there's definitely another horror movie where they're just like, oh, Mika, that's who he reminds me of. I was like, how can you forget who did this? How could you? I had a moment, okay? I got my vaccine today. I have the brain fog. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, bro. What's going on? Haunt me already. Move something. Do something, demon. Huh? huh? What are you scared? Come on. So then we find out that Mika was actually Ed's love child from another relationship. I can see that. Right. Yeah. So Lorraine says, my hands are so cold. Ed's like, come on. Then Lorraine says, no, no, it's gone. It's gone. And Ed's like, I got nothing. They all start going up the stairs. And then it sounds like someone plays a low note on the piano. They turn to look. There's nothing there. So they continue out into the hall. Ed is saying, like I said, it doesn't always work when you want it to. Maybe the camera picked something up. Then the door slams shut on its own. We cut to Drew and Brad sitting together and Drew is saying, for a non-believer, Brad, you looked pretty freaked out when that door slammed shut. Brad says, there must have been a draft. Drew says, that's funny because a draft never put that look on my face. A draft never put a look on my face, but Andrea did. But um, yeah. Winky face. (laughs) Yes, winky face. Let's, Let's go. Oh, man. The clock then clicks to 3.08 a.m. Brad says he believes the clock. The night is over. We cut to the morning. They're having this pancake breakfast, which really made me want pancakes. <laughs> they did look good. I can't lie. They did look good. I, I might make pancakes this weekend. But anyway, April brings out a pancake. Papa Pete says he's going to take the girls out for ice cream. Mama Elle says she's too exhausted to join. Ed offers to let her rest a while and that he and Lorraine will take charge of the place for a bit. Officer Brad takes off for a shift and Mama Elle says that the house hasn't felt like this in a while. Girls feel a lot safer with the Warrens around. We cut to Lorraine doing laundry and Ed is saying he, saying he could get used to life like this out in, he calls it fish country. <laughs> Lorraine says they have such a beautiful family. Ed comments on little April and this is where I cringe because of the real life allegations against Ed. <laughs> but not moving Ed. Ed. Ed is fine. Movie Ed is fine. Okay, okay. Fine. It's okay. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. Patrick Wilson, you're fine. Who you're playing is not. But oh, well. Okay. Rain says that they have to help them. Ed says uh, he'll start with the Chevy. Then the wind blows ominously. Lorraine senses something as the sun disappears behind the clouds. She goes to pull a sheet down from the line and it blows away, sticking to an invisible human figure right in front of her. This got me so bad the first time. Not so much on replays. And this was the nun, actually. It wasn't It wasn't Bathsheba. It was the nun. Oh, right. when did we so find that out? Okay. <laughs> I thought you were serious. No, no oh. idea. It just made more sense for it to be the nun than that sheet. The sheet then blows over to the window upstairs that is part of the parents' room. And then she sees a figure standing in the window dressed in white. Then it slowly turns and walks away. Lorraine runs into the house and Mama Elle is asleep. Then she wakes up with a start and has this like, she has a strange scream that she's doing as the ghost that attacked Andrea floats over her and then vomits blood into her mouth. Mama Elle sits up all the way choking as Lorraine bangs on the door. She's telling her to open it. She runs over to the bathroom door and Mama Elle opens it and walks out. Lorraine asks if she's sick and Mama Elle says that she woke up feeling a little nauseous. What I'm sure that she actually meant nauseated. <laughs> but she says nauseous. Probably right, yeah, but that's, that's a common mistake though. It is. Lorraine's saying that she thought she saw something and Mama Elle says that she hears Papa Pete and the girls and walks off. 
Papa Pete and the girls pull up and Papa Pete sees Ed working on the Chevy. They go to have a manly bonding time over the car. Ed says Papa Pete is lucky. He and Lorraine always wanted a place like this. And Papa Pete says that he'll sell it to them. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great line. You want one? Hey, I know a place. Thanks, Ed, for being there, even though he was skeptical at first. It means a lot. Ed says it wasn't, it was all Lorraine. He didn't want to come at first. And then says whatever Lorraine sees, feels, touches, it helps people, but it also takes a toll on her, a little piece each time. A couple of months ago, they were working on a case. She saw something, and then we get the flash flashback to Maurice's exorcism. He grabs Lorraine and looks into her face, and she screams. Ed continues, it took a real big piece. When we got home, she went, she went into our room and locked herself in there, didn't talk, didn't eat, didn't come out for eight days. How do you not eat for eight days? Well, she's feeding off demon. But, like, also, wouldn't you, like, make her eat at that point? Like, she would be very, Maybe very trying, weak. I know. Papa Pete asks, what did she see? Ed says that he doesn't know and he won't ask. We then cut to nighttime. Officer Brad is back and he gets up from his station to get some more coffee. He hears the wind chimes outside and then notices the rocking chair beside it is moving. He goes outside to check on it and he hears a woman whisper, look what she made me do. And then he starts singing some Taylor Swift. (laughs) As you do. Okay. So he comes back inside and he sees a woman in a maid's uniform in the doorway of the next room, which is like the laundry slash mud room. He gasps. The maid is showing her slit wrists and saying, look what she made me do. She walks off through some hanging sheets. Brad goes in after her. She isn't in the direction that she had walked off in. Brad calls for Ed and he begins to try to leave the room. And the maid pops back out from the opposite side of the room and like gets right in his face screaming, look what she made me do. Brad falls over and he calls for Ed again. Everyone gets in there, but the maid is gone. Brad's telling them he saw someone. There was a woman dressed as a maid. And then we cut to a shot down the hallway as Cindy sleepwalks from the living room, tripping a camera as she does, and she heads up the stairs. Lorraine calls their attention to it, and they run down the hall. Papa Pete says it's just Cindy sleepwalking, and Ed stops him from getting her, saying that they need this. Papa Pete asks why they need pictures of Cindy. Ed says that there's someone with her. She walks into Andrea's room and the door slams shut behind her. The cameras inside the room are being tripped and flashing as Ed and Papa Pete try to get the door open. Meanwhile, Drew is listening in on the room's audio. He hears a boy's voice whisper, hey, over here, it's safe. He shouts that someone is in there with her. Lorraine joins Drew and listens. She hears, follow me this way. This is where I hide. Ed and Papa Pete get in but can't find Cindy. Ed tells Brad to ask Drew for the UV light. He runs downstairs and grabs it from Drew and brings it back. Ed turns out the lights and he uses the ultraviolet light looking for footprints. He sees a set of footprints. They lead to the armoire. He opens up the armoire and there's nothing inside. He starts flipping through all the clothing until he sees that there's handprints on the back of the armoire and he presses on it and realizes it's a false wall. He opens it and he finds that there is a hole cut out into the drywall and he pokes in his head into the wall and he sees that Cindy is inside this little crawl space that's been made. 
They get her out. And as Lorraine and April watch, April says, that's where Rory hides when he's afraid. Lorraine then decides to climb in and she finds an old fashioned, like all these old fashioned toys on these shelves inside of the crawl space. And it's super dusty. And in the dust, there's an outline of where the creepy music box used to sit. She asks Ed for the music box. And meanwhile, Papa Pete says that Cindy doesn't remember a thing. Lorraine then grabs the music box and she sets it down on the shelf, proving that, yes, it was taken from that spot. She then sees a rope uh, underneath the shelf and she crouches down and pulls it to reveal it's a noose. Startled, she stands up and then breaks through the floor boards, falling through the walls of the house until she ends up in the cellar. Ed starts running through the house, banging on walls, trying to find her. Meanwhile, Lorraine picks up her flashlight and starts looking around the cellar. She hears a woman laughing. Then the music box plays a single note. She picks it up and uses the mirror to look around. She sees a woman in a yellow dress with a bloody knife. She is rocking back and forth with her back towards Lorraine. As she sobs, she says, she made me do it. Slowly, the woman turns towards Lorraine. Her eyes look like black chasms. Oh, in an instant, as Lorraine turns, the woman is gone. Then just as suddenly, she is right behind the music box in Lorraine's face. She made me do it. She screams. Um, that is like very like sad. I guess sad would be the right word. Just how like these loving moms just turned into end of maid, turned into like murder murderers, and even after death, they're like she made me do it. Like I didn't want to do this. Like I agree, it is a very sad concept. Yeah, I even yeah, still tortured. Yeah, the concept just like the first few times it landed with me. This time, I don't know. Maybe I was just on my whole like parade of fuck this anti-witchcraft shit because I'm just like she didn't make you do anything bitch yeah, but she did because you know you gotta you gotta you gotta accept the movie on its terms you know it's it's know. these things as fact you gotta go with it divorce from reality you know it's, <laughs> yeah they, they're trying to entertain and yeah I have a really hard time suspending my disbelief this happens quite often in various movies and people call me on it all the time it's not only the yeah. horror genre, it's like anything. And people are like, come, you just have to accept that unicorns exist for this movie. And I'm like, no, they don't but exist. They're not real. Like, I know, <laughs> but look, there's one right there. Come on. Yeah. All right. So, mental note will not take you to watch like Hot, uh, How to Train Your Dragon or something. Like, there are dragons. I'm like, I get it. I know. But there's dragons in this movie and there's a bunch of them. Just, just get ready. <laughs> oh, Lord. I just, well, I, don't take me to see that because I don't like animated things, but. <laughs> Anyways, okay. She gasps for air and then there is the creaking rope sound again. The woman is gone and Lorraine looks around. The feet from the tree sway in front of her and slowly spin around as she screams and then starts running. The body moves towards her and then we get a close-up of the witch's face, like gasping. Uh, then we cut to Ed banging on the walls, screaming for Lorraine as she screams for him. As she is running, an invisible force grabs her locket, uh, snatching it from her neck as she escapes. I thought it got caught up like on a like on a piece of wood when she fell, and then the the force takes it later. Uh, I thought it, like, it, it looked neck. like maybe it was just my screen being too dark and I couldn't see the wood. Yeah, that's right. 
And then like it's hanging off the wood and then like something goes for it. That part, yeah. I saw the it hanging on the wood later, but I didn't see the wood pulling at the necklace at this part. I thought it's what I thought I saw. It is quite possible because it is hanging on wood later. So Lorraine makes it up the stairs and Ed opens up the door as she does. She gets out of the cellar and she says that she knows what she did. She possessed the mother to kill the child. She says she visits Mama L every night. That's why the bruises are on her. She's feeding off of her. Mama L looks blankly at her. And then on the mantelpiece, a cross begins to shake. Then it's knocked over. Another falls to the floor in front of Nancy, Christine, and Andrea. Slowly, we see an invisible force pull up Nancy's hair a strand by strand until it has a large chunk. And then starts pulling her by the hair around the room. Slams her to smash an interior window. Then it pulls her across the floor and all over the place. I think it's her dad and Ed try to help her. But then Lorraine is the one who ends up grabbing scissors and cutting her hair, which stops it. It gives her a very bad haircut. Yeah. I'm sure she's going to be very upset about that later. Yeah, this teenage girl now just has this chunk of hair missing in the middle of her head. She already didn't like her life. Now she's really mad. Yeah. She can't even go to school. They're going to make fun of her. Oh, poor Nancy. It was Nancy, not Angie. I don't know. There's like a thousand girls in this movie. I don't know any of their names. I, I tried my best to keep the names in check for them. They didn't get nicknames because I'm like, that will just get way too confusing. <laughs> and they're not in the movie that much. No, you know, child labor laws and whatever. So Drew catches all of it on tape. We cut to daytime um, and Ed says that they will get the footage to Father G money super quick. They expect a fast response. When they get the exorcist, Ed says he'll be back, but Lorraine will not. Papa Pete understands and thanks Ed for everything. Lorraine is sitting in their van when she hears Judy's voice calling Mommy. She follows it out back to the dock. She sees a vision of Judy floating just underneath the water. Lorraine rushes into the house to call home. Ed is on her heels asking what the fuck is happening. She asks her mom to check on Judy. Then after a moment, we find out that Judy is okay. Lorraine explains that well, like what she saw, the vision of Judy in the water, and says that she knows it was some kind of warning. Then my favorite part happens. <laughs> because I've seen this movie so many times, I've picked up on this part, and I find it funny every time. She's like, I know it was some kind of warning, Ed. And then she has this sob as she hugs him, and the sob is like, ah. <laughs> and then he's like, let's go. And she stops sobbing immediately and runs. <laughs> All right. Crying over. Let's go. <laughs> the fake sob gets cut off short and they run away. Then we see the parents pull up to a motel. Mama L seems super out of it. Drew is with them in his van. We cut to the church. The Warrens are showing Father G Money the footage of Nancy. Father says, you weren't kidding. He then says it is complicated since the children aren't baptized and the family aren't members of the church and the approval would have to come directly from the Vatican. And they aren't even interested in protecting Catholic children, only exploiting, abusing them and protecting those who exploit and abuse them. So why would they help these non-Catholic children? <laughs> he doesn't say that. That's me. Okay. <laughs> Did we see different versions of this movie? Like, my version didn't have that in <laughs> Uh, I just, I had to go on a spotlight tangent. <laughs> so anyways, Ed says they've never seen, uh, never seen nothing like this, which double negative really annoyed me. Um, 
Because they've seen the things like this a lot, so they spoke correctly. We see the picture of Cindy as she's sleepwalking with a trail of orbs behind her. The father agrees he's never seen something like this either. And then we get a close-up. There's a ghostly hand on Cindy's shoulder. Then there's another picture of her on the stairs, and it shows Rory right behind her. Ed says, Father, they don't have a lot of time. Father agrees to push it through himself. Then we cut to the Warren's house. Judy's locked, uh, sorry, locket sways in circles on her bedside lamp. We then cut to Lorraine's locket, also spinning, but it's in the parents' basement. Judy's leg is pulled just like Christine's was uh, as she's lying in bed. She wakes up and no one is there. She goes to check on her Nana and she is fast asleep. And so she walks down the hall and turns on the light. She calls for her parents and checks their room to find that they are not there. She goes downstairs to see that the room of haunted shit is sitting open. The camera then pans to show that Annabelle is not in her case. She heads back upstairs, but the light she turned on turns off. She calls for her Nana and she hears banging. She runs into the study and closes the door. Then there is a bang at the door. She screams and cries till it stops, but then she hears breathing behind her. She turns to see the witch sitting in the rocking chair with Annabelle in her lap. Annabelle's head slowly turns to look at Judy, and Judy runs to the door screaming for her Nana. She turns back, but the rocking chair is empty now. Nana's trying to get into the room, but she can't. Meanwhile, Ed and Lorraine are driving home, and Lorraine tells Ed something is wrong. They get inside and see Nana trying to get into the room. Ed tells Judy to back away from the door as he tries to break it down. In the room, the rocking chair spins around so that it faces Judy all by itself. As Ed opens the door, the rocking chair flies at them, and Ed grabs Judy just in time. Judy tells them someone was rocking in the chair with Annabelle. Ed goes to check out the haunted room and finds Annabelle is locked in her case. We then cut to the motel, and Drew and Papa Pete pull up in the van, and the girls tell him that Mama L just took off with Christine and April. They don't know where she was was going and they were like all in a panic. We cut to Christine and April in the car with Mama L asking where they're going. Mama L is not talking at all. She's just staring blankly as she drives. We cut to Ed and Lorraine. Papa P calls and says something's wrong with Mama L. The girls say she took off with Christine and April without a word and she smelled like rotting meat. So not smelling good at all. Stinky. <laughs> if you smell like rotting meat, Please go see a doctor. Yeah, you got you got bigger problems. Bigger problems going on. Lorraine tells Ed that she possessed the mother to kill the child. She's taking them to the house. Ed tells Papa Pete to meet him at the house. Papa Pete tells the girls to lock the doors, close the blinds, and stay off the phone, and then drives off with Drew. Lorraine is insisting she is going to come too. Ed says that he can't lose her. Lorraine says, you won't. Let's finish this together. We then cut to Officer Brad giving them a police escort out to the parents' farm. Ed and Lorraine change, sorry, they charge the front door, but it's locked. So Officer Brad shoots out the lock with a shotgun like a motherfucking badass. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. You got that clue from a, a, what was the name, a Toro from Paranormal Activity Mark ones? Was it Arturo? Yeah, well, I think it was Arturo. Yeah, the, the brother, the brother's gang, the gangbang brother dude. Mm-hmm. 
with the shotgun. But anyways, they run in and hear animalistic screams coming from the cellar. They go downstairs to find Papa Pete and Drew restraining Mama Elle, who has a pair of scissors in one hand and is holding on to Christine's hair, I think, with the other. They wrestle Christine away from her and the scissors, and then they carry Christine upstairs. They also wrestle Mama Elle upstairs, and they say that they're going to take her to the priest for an exorcism. Papa Pete is asking where April is and he's calling for her. Meanwhile, Mama Ella is fighting them the whole time and screaming like a maniac. Drew wrestles Christine out of the door with Lorraine and Ed and Papa Pete are close behind with Mama Elle, but as they try to pass the threshold, burns show up all over Mama Elle's skin. Lorraine says she won't let her leave the house. If we take her, the witch will kill her. They just... Okay, sure. <laughs> Mama yeah. Elle. Let's go with it. Let's go with it at this point. It's, it's... Deep breaths. It's fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> It'll be okay. It'll just be okay. Mama Elle is thrown back into, like, by an invisible force, and she's thrown back into the house and then dragged into the cellar. She holds onto a door frame, trying to stay up, and she screams for Papa Pete before she's taken. They run down into the cellar after her. She is being thrown. <laughs> swung around and like thrown in a circle into all the junk in the basement and this really made me laugh come on the poor little girl i mean not the poor little girl the poor lady's getting beat up i know but it's just like the spinning in a circle thing (laughs) it looked really humorous to me okay she falls to the ground and they rush towards her we cut to drew putting christine in the car she's crying and says that she doesn't want to stay there alone by and drew says that he has to go back into the house he needs to go and find april but he'll be back Drew runs back in and runs directly upstairs, calling for April. Mama L is beating the shit out of Papa Pete and Ed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They call for Brad to step in, and he is staring like, what the fuck? I don't want to step in. Hey, look, she looks tough. I ain't trying to fight her. He goes in to restrain her, and she takes a giant bite out of his face. It was bad, and human bites are super toxic, so you need a hospital, sir. Uh, well, he's kind of busy at the moment. I don't think he can get there right away. That's fair. Lorraine throws a sheet over Mama L and then pulls a chair over and brings Ed and Papa Pete rope, and they restrain her, tying her to the chair. And I'm just like, what would they have done if Lorraine hadn't come? She's the real MVP over here. Oh, yeah. Um, Brad adds a handcuff to the mix and then he saves Ed from being strangled saying that Mama Elle screams and of like possession and her acting here it really fucking sells this this is some high quality possession acting yeah I know she really makes up for her sad stain in um the haunting which out of the movie so oh but the children need me <laughs> come on she she makes up in a good possession movie haunting movie or whatever movie mm-hmm. Yeah, she was really great in this. Okay, Ed says they need to get Father G money there ASAP. Lorraine says she that Mama L will not make it that long. Ed steps back and then tells Lorraine she needs to leave then. I'm like, I'm sorry, Ed. Did you not hear my note about your wife being the MVP here? I don't think he did. No, he's not here right now. I don't believe he heard the note. Well, then. Well. And it's selfish of him. But don't get me wrong. I know it's bad of him. It's, still- it's quite rude. I can't believe that he didn't attend this meeting. Uh. <laughs> That's it. I'm going to put a note in this file. <laughs> okay. Well, Lorraine is like, what are you talking about? I'm right there with her. Ed says that 
I have to do it. I have to do the exorcism. Papa Pete is all, what? I thought you said we needed a priest. You're not a priest. I agree, Papa Pete. Fuck this con artist. No, but anyways. Um, Lorraine does her best uh, Rob Schneider and is like, he can do it. You can do it, honey. You can do it. <laughs> See, this is just the way it works. Then they argue about Lorraine staying and she says, God brought us together for a reason. This is it. And then she turns to get a Bible. Oh, sorry. She runs out to grab a Bible. Papa Pete is standing there like, I could really use a hypnotist right now to make me believe that none of this shit is happening. This shit is tense. <laughs> I'm not I'm not feeling this at all. I don't like this. Office space references. Saw <laughs> um, so that movie once, did not like it. So. I fucking love that movie. I, oh, it's so good. But Maybe because I had office space kind of job. So just like, uh, That's why it's so uh, good. I'm just like, yes, all of this is completely true. And then I love when he gets hypnotized and then just doesn't give a shit about anything. And then they beat up the printer with baseball bats. <laughs> it's so good. So good. So Ed pulls out his gangster ass cross on a chain from underneath his shirt. We then cut to Lorraine running outside while Drew is running around the upstairs looking for April. Lorraine runs back in and they do like this cool shot where it's like upside down and then turns right side up and then they do it the opposite way when she runs back in. It's a cool shot. You know, James Wan, he knows he does his thing. And then starts the exorcism once Lorraine comes back with the Bible. He throws holy water at Mama Al who shrieks in pain and it's shattering and like knocking everything down in the basement. And Papa Pete's looking at her like, the marriage vows said nothing about this shit. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> Christine is still alone in the car and then a bird's start like flying and crashing into the car and then they start crashing into the house breaking the windows then down the basement mama l is going full ham screaming like crazy ed tells them that they have to hold her still because she's rocking back and forth too much drew is looking for april in the kitchen and he hears her crying underneath the floor. Back in the cellar, Mama Elle is screaming for Papa Pete to help her. Papa Pete's begging Ed to stop because he's killing her. Lorraine says he can't stop. Mama Elle spits out a ton of blood, staining the white sheet over her face. Papa Pete tells Ed to stop, and Lorraine gets in his face and is like, understand this, we are now fighting for her soul. Okay, Karen. Uh <laughs> She couldn't help it. She carried out a little bit. Ed says in the name of Jesus or whatever he calls on, uh, he condemns them to reveal themselves. The sheet rips, revealing Mama L's face. That is, it now looks like the witch ghost thing's face instead. Drew then starts some home renovations in their kitchen <laughs> as he digs through the floor. Mama L screams for Papa Pete to help her as the whole basement shakes violently, like everything in it. Suddenly she goes limp and everything stops shaking. Then she levitates in the chair. Her head snaps back up and then the chair turns upside down and starts banging against the ceiling. Ed screams for it to put her down. Then the chair falls to the ground, shattering. Papa Pete and Lorraine rush to check on Mama L. A cabinet turns and tips over, almost falling on top of Ed, but he ducks out of the way just in time. Mama L sits up and is laughing super evilly. 
Brad and Papa Pete uh, restrain her, and Ed tells Papa Pete they're losing her. So Papa Pete starts saying, damn you! You leave my family alone, you hear me? I don't know what you are, but you leave my wife alone, God damn it! Let her go! And he keeps repeating, let her go for a while. Then Mama Elle stops laughing and turns to look at him and says, she's already gone. And now you're all going to die. Brad shotgun cocks and then shoots at them all by itself. Then we're back to Drew's kitchen renovation special. He pulls up the floor and he finds April. He immediately screams because let's alert the whole entire world, especially the possessed woman trying to kill her. <laughs> I know where she is. She's right here. I'll take you to her, whoever you are. Yeah, I found her. She's under the the house in the kitchen <laughs> with the candlestick. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Oh, Lord. Mama L runs, grabbing the scissors on the way and gets up into the walls from like where Lorraine crashed through. She climbs through the walls and the guys try to go after her while Lorraine decides to go upstairs. Mama L spots April. She April screams, and then Mama L gets her and is about to stab her with the scissors when everyone's yelling, "Carolyn, no!" Because uh, that's her real name, but you know, Mama L. Then Ed screams, "Bathsheba!" And Mama L turns to him, changing into the witch ghost. And then Ed says, as she shrieks, by the power of God, I condemn you back to hell. Lorraine then puts her head on Mama L's forehead and she turns back into her possessed but not full on Bathsheba self. She and Lorraine says, this is your daughter. You can't give in. Ed is saying to Papa Pete that they have to get her to fight from the inside. So very weakly, Papa Pete's like, don't let this do this to you, honey. You got to fight Please, it. No, come on. Um, can't let this happen. Sure. I would hate to have four daughters instead of five. No, please, whatever you do. <laughs> Don't do this. It just like reminds me of like a dad in the delivery room, like trying to help right before he faints. (laughs) I I don't know what I'm saying here. I'm I'm useless. Lorraine then tells her to remember what you showed me. Remember that day you said you would never forget. We got flashes of the beach. Mama L cries. Lorraine says, you said they meant the world to you. This is what you'll be leaving behind. That Photoshop picture, you'll be leaving it behind. This is what you, this is what it is. You'll be leaving it for the next version of Photoshop that will do a better job. Or the next person that is better at Photoshop to do a better job. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay. Um, Mama L sobs and then she vomits away the possession because that's how that works. Makes sense. Well, she she was vomited in to get the possession, so she's vomiting out. Makes sense. Lots of vomit. It tracks. Not as much as the exorcist, but still too much vomit for me. We cut to day and Mama L is able to leave the house. Uh, Her bruises fade away as the sunlight touches her. April then cries and she cries saying that she's so sorry and she loves her so much. We see all the parents like reunite in the yard. Ed and Lorraine are looking on. Brad exits the house holding a cloth to his the bite on his face. Drew asks if a draft did that to his face, and Brad says he'll take a guy with a gun any day. In my head, I was like, this is not the time. He has an open wound. <laughs> but Drew's kind of an ass, so, you know. To, to be mocking the man with the gun. I feel like Drew was the stand-in for Lee in this film. <laughs> 
Maybe. I can see that. Just like this little bit sassy, dude. Ed tells Lorraine that she did good. He's, she says, no, you did. The kiss. And then April gives Lorraine her locket back because she found that somehow in all this traumatic shit. The ghost gave it to her before she, you know, trying to kill the daughter, maybe. It's like, you take this to hell with you. Exactly. You go to hell. Papa Pete and Ed have like their manly little head nod of acknowledgement to each other. We cut to the Warrens getting home. Lorraine says she'll call Father G Money to update him. Ed puts the music box in their haunted room. Lorraine says is standing in the door and she says that the Vatican approved the exorcism and that Father G Money wants to meet with them tomorrow. There's a case in Long Island that he'd like to discuss which is the Amneville Horror. Ed closes the door and we get text on screen that reads, Diabolical forces are formidable. These forces are uh, eternal, not external. (laughs) These forces are eternal and they exit. Oh my God, my handwriting exists today. (laughs) The fairy tale is true. The devil is the devil exists. God exists. And for us, as people, our very destiny hinges upon which one we elect to follow. Ed Warren. That's who that quote is from. The music box plays in the room as the camera zooms in on the mirror until it cuts to black. Then we get some real-life pictures of Ed and Lorraine and the Perrin family. The end. Credits. And we finished the movie. So, Jackie, mm-hmm. what'd you think? Besides hating every aspect of the real, of the things that aren't real and aren't in this movie. Yes. So I hate that it's based on a true story, quote unquote. I hate that the true, true story is much worse. And like the reality is much darker in the sense of humanity being darker and people being pieces of shit. Don't like how they've romanticized Ed and Lorraine for this series. Not a fan of that. Also not a fan of their whole entire fever dream of what witchcraft is. I guess, okay, so to me, because I know people who are Wicca and that is their religion, to me, it feels like religious persecution. Like, it it feels like Islamophobia and that's why I don't like it so much. I can see that. So, like, it's an entire movie about Islamophobia and we're going to make the bad guy Muslims and it's going to be about the fact that they are Muslims and that's why they're bad. I see where you're coming from. I just don't see that as the movie's intent. Like, I don't see it being like, all right, we're going to denigrate this religion. They say, all right, we need a bad guy. It's going to be a witch because witches have been bad guys in movies and stories from now until the beginning. It's from now till as far back as I've known things. So all right, it's a witch, whatever. And the witch is going to worship the devil because, and then she cursed the land and then boom, we have a movie. Yeah. I just, I mean, Ed and Lorraine were we're right in the mix of the satanic panic and we all know how horrible the satanic panic was and how unreal it was and how people are still rotting in jail to this day on false charges that involve satanism but they were not like they did nothing Ugh. so anyways this just kind of ties into all of that and i don't like it i don't like that they're profiting on it Mm, I can still, in my, I can still divorce it, the movie from the reality of the situation. So I'm, at, I'm like, all right, all you're saying, I agree with it. You're sure you're right, but I'm like, the movie is the movie. I wish that they just cut out the whole entire witch part. It added nothing to it for me. It could have just been this woman. She killed her child, and then she hanged herself on the property. And like, sure, you can say she cursed. Fine, like a generic like. 
I curse thee. Like, sure. Her last words were a curse upon this land and thus this land is now cursed. That's fine. But you don't have to call her a witch. You don't have to tie it into the Salem witch trials. You don't have to say this was her religion and that like that religion's evil and blah, 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 blah. Like, it's just... I just see it as an evil person doing evil things and the religion is irrelevant, but that's just what they happen to believe in. That yeah. doesn't make her, that doesn't make the religion bad, it just makes the person bad. Yes, but they tie it directly to the religion, right? Yeah, because that's the way she, that's the way she practiced it and not the right, and just that was her evilness. You know, because yes. you're going to, you, you bring who you are into what you believe in and like, I'm a bad person. So of course, no matter what I believe in, I'm a twisted to fit who I am and my bad ideas and my bad self. Fair. But then also you're besmirching a real person here. The Bathsheba Sherman was a real person. Her child was killed. It was proven or like through the courts, they said that it was not her fault that the child was killed and she lived the rest of her life and died of natural causes. And now you're calling her a witch and saying that she murdered her child and all like you know what I mean like it's not cool like I get it and uh, I'm like all right but it doesn't bother me just fair it like reminds me of in Titanic when they have Murdoch who shoots like Tommy and then he shoots himself so Murdoch is like he was one of the I can't think of names of people on ships but like he was a high in command on the ship and he's a real person who really died on the Titanic and there is no evidence to say that he shot passengers or anything like that that's they put in the movie to make it dramatic and dramatic licenses yeah but his family are fucking pissed about it and devastated like that's my great grandfather and you just called him a murderer for your plot of the movie like so it's the same thing here like you called her a witch and said that she murdered her child when none of this is true you also said that she committed suicide like none of this is true (laughs) but people are gonna go forward from this movie and be like yeah just a fictional character named Bathsheba Sherman who this that whatever happened to and it's like no she's a real person and she didn't do any of those things I see this movie as a work of fiction so I'm like alright this fictional character did these fictional things and believe this fictional thing in this fictional way yes if it was fictional, right? But they decided not to make it fictional. They decided to use her real name. They, and, But like they say based on a true events and they use everyone's real names. Now, if they had just taken this and been like, yeah, like a ghost investigating couple that is based upon the Warrens, but their names are like... Uh, the Joneses. The Joneses. Yeah, that. exactly. And that like, oh, that on this property that's very similar to the parents' property and like everything that happened to them, like there was a, I, I, we know I disagree with which problem, but even then there was a witch and her name was Kathy, I don't know what, but like. McGillicuddy. Yes, whatever, doesn't matter. Yeah, like, and just completely give it different names and whatever. Like why use the real names and then lie? It's for marketing. They, the, the Based on two story gets more people to watch the movie. That's just, but it still doesn't make it not a work effect. Much like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remake that says based on a real story, completely fake name, James Hewitt, completely fake crimes. The only thing similar is like they made furniture out of skin. Like that's the only thing that's based on a true story and they can still say based on a true story. So they could be like, yeah, ghost hunting couple that goes around like the New York area solving crimes, not crimes, hauntings. <laughs> like that's based on a true story. And Lorraine existed. That's where it's based on a true story. And they can leave it at that instead of no. with Lorraine being there, that wasn't gonna like and they probably pay money to use her name. So they had to use it. So they were gonna use it. So then don't besmirch Bathsheba. <laughs> 
doesn't bother me. Like, I get it. It doesn't, like, okay. I may not see this. Like, oh, man, they should have done it. But now they did it. I'm like, eh, it's done. It's not real. But you asked me what but I would change. Parents, this is what I would change. Yes. No, I asked, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I thought that the format of our podcast involved me now telling you what I would change about the movie to make it better. But I no, guess I'm next wrong. question. Now, no, now I was going to be so. What would you change, Jackie? Just now. Kidding. Well, now you've heard what I would change, but it's also very yeah, much tied sure. into what I think. So, but yeah. overall, okay. Yeah. The scares were good in this movie. I feel like the movie could have been great and done all the things that it did without that piece in the middle where they're like, here's the history lesson about the witch. Like, fuck that whole entire thing. I don't need that for it to be a creepy movie. It didn't add anything. It didn't take away. You could you could take it or leave it. Like, just be a terrible thing happened in this house, and that's it. I mean, they just wanted they just wanted a reason for her to be sacrificing her child, I guess. So they picked which they could have picked. Yeah. She was mentally ill, but that would have been a problem of a different color. You know, I just I, I wouldn't. The thing is, you would change a lot, and I I don't think I would really change much. But so, like as I'm saying, I would change a lot. No, I wouldn't. I would change taking out the whole witch plotline or if we're going to keep like well i would really prefer to take out the witch plotline because as i said it feels like um religious persecution but if we were keeping that in my only change to this entire movie would be change the names that's it it's the same movie the same scares the same everything just change the names i guess that can be done and that doesn't take anything doesn't doesn't matter like it still keeps the movie the same yeah. Sorry for me to argue with a change so innocuous. Like it's like I just I, I wouldn't have changed it, but I can't argue with it either. Yeah. Like that that's the thing. I'm ranting here about ugh, like the whole based on a true story and the true story not being the same and blah 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 blah. But that doesn't mean I didn't like the movie. My like if we're gonna jump to ratings, but I wanna hear your mm-hmm. more of your thoughts uh on this, but yeah. I'll jump to my rating. My rating's mm-hmm. seven out of ten. Like yeah. It's a good movie. I'm in the same place. I'm at a seven. I'm at a seven. Yeah, I'm also at a seven. If it didn't drag so much in the beginning, I probably would have been late. Like I said, like it's hard for me to argue the change because I'm like, all right, it doesn't because it doesn't have to be these names. It doesn't have to be Adam Lorraine. It doesn't have to be the parents. It doesn't have to be Bathsheba. It doesn't have to be in the movie. Still, the scares wouldn't. It wouldn't change the scares. Wouldn't have done it probably because I will probably wouldn't have thought that far ahead. Probably wouldn't have thought of it as because I don't see it as evil intent. I can see evil intent being read into it but i don't see that as like the reason why these decisions were made that mm-hmm. makes sense like um yeah i don't think that it's evil. the intention wasn't to yeah yeah the intention wasn't to besmirch bethsheba the actual person that alive i didn't even know those actual bethsheba just like who would name their child bethsheba they made the same <laughs> so um so that, that part i didn't know <laughs> i don't think oh we're gonna we're gonna besmirch bethsheba because her name's ugly or whatever, and you know, oh, that was the name a person lived there. Boom, we're just gonna use it because, and we're gonna say she's a witch because we need hor- it's a horror movie. We need horrible things to happen, and she sacrificed child to the devil. Why? Because we need something terrible. You know, it's shorthand. It's all like shorthand. Like, mm-hmm. She's bad. Why? Because she's a witch and sacrificed the devil and hung herself, cursed the land because she's bad. Boom. No much. Now see the eye. We're gonna demonize this religion for X, Y, and Z. We're gonna besmirch. Like I see that it could be seen that way. And I'm and I can see it. I just don't agree with it. I just all right. I don't see that. That's what they were out to do. Yeah, I mean, like ignorance is what you know. What I mean, it, it, they were ignorant to the fact that that's ignorance what they were doing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. But they still ended up doing it. Um, And I think if somebody would have brought it up at the time, they might have changed it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You you would think so. But then, okay. So, spoilers going ahead, but I was listening to Horror Virgin today and they are talking about the third uh, installment in this franchise, which I haven't seen yet. But they were talking again about the Ed and Lorraine perspective of the satanic panic and how that ties into this new movie and how they just, instead of being like, okay, we all know now with the information that we have with all these people being exonerated for crimes they didn't commit that were tied into the satanic panic and all this stuff. We all know now the satanic panic was ridiculous. It wasn't real. And it was a really dark part of our history, but instead this film has decided to lean into that. It was real that Satanism was real and these people were doing these things. And it just, with the information that we have now, it seems really wrong to me to do that. I haven't seen the movie, so I can't speak on it too much because I don't know um, how they do anything in this movie because it's a movie I haven't watched. Hell, I haven't even watched all of the second one. But um, if they treat it like it's real, there wouldn't be much of a movie there, I would think. Mm -hmm. So... Like, maybe it's because I was listening to that today. So then I start looking at this film through that lens of, but we know this information. We know that Salem was, again, like mass hysteria. It wasn't actual witchcraft. And we're just going to ignorantly shorthand it that, oh, yeah, that's that's true. They were witches because that helps along our plot. But like, again, with the this movie would be just as good without the witch stuff. You don't need it at all, in my opinion. It could still be a creepy possession movie. Like the spirit that haunts and possesses Reagan and the exorcist is like, cult, what is it? Like Mr. Duty or Captain Duty or something? <laughs> It's Pazuzu. No, but it's Pazuzu. It so is actually, but like, it's like some like yeah. thing from a Ouija board and he presented himself as like Captain whatever and it's just like silly. Um, no, well, no, in the beginning of X, they show the, the statue of Pazuzu in the beginning. Okay, sure. I guess. Um, but I'm just saying that like you don't need witchcraft. We need to explain it in a different way. You don't need it, but you just like it's quicker. Like, you would just need to explain the demon in a different way. Or like why this person that lived in this house was possessing this lady to kill her children. Because it's also, it's not like I'm possessing you to possess you. I'm possessing so you to kill your children. You know, they'd have to explain it. Also, it could just be like this demon is a demon that it, it is the demon that takes children. Like that is the type of demon he is, you know? So are we back to Bagul? Then? Sure. Like, but that's what I mean. Like we're it could have been that. Yeah, they want to tie something to a person that lived there that does this. Like their MO is possessing moms to kill their children, which is a Bagul thing. Bagul like possesses the kids and not even possess. You know, Bagul didn't possess anybody. Convinces the kid to kill, to kill their parents. Yeah, but again, with the it could have been instead of Bathsheba was a witch and she sacrificed this child, Satan, which none of that happened. It could be okay, like a person lived on this land and they were possessed and then they were forced to kill their child and it like just keeps happening. Ugh. Like, <laughs> I'm still wondering why the maid was possessed because she didn't have it because she was a maid and she didn't even kill anybody, she just killed herself. Yeah, I don't know because she was in a neighboring property. Don't know. Mm-hmm. When the maid one throws me off. It's like, everybody says, Oh, the possessed mom to kill children. Anime the killer. I think it's just that I'm trying to tie it into the actual deaths that I read at the beginning of the episode, the like two suicides and whatever. And they were like, oh, another boy drowned on the property because there's a drowning and whatever. So I think they were just trying to die. Well, the boy never turned up, so maybe... No, they, they say it not like Rory that disappeared. They say another child was found drowned on the property um, when oh. they're doing the whole awesome. explanation. But anyways... 
overall, I think it's a good movie. It's just certain things needed to be tweaked. And it's such easy tweaks, in my opinion. Um, so overall, it's 7 out of 10 for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm also in the 7 boat, 7 out of 10. So, so far, this series is up, is up for a good start. For 70%, I can do that math in my head. And... <laughs> Yeah, and we'll be doing The Conjuring 2 next week, uh, Enfield Poltergeist. Yes, that's next week with Conjuring 2. That's a movie I haven't watched all the way yeah. through. I watched about half of it, got bored, never went back to it. So <laughs> we'll see. I'll see how it ends. I have no idea how it ends. Not well. <laughs> I saw it in theaters, was not impressed. So we shall see what my thoughts are on my second rewatch. We'll see. Ooh, my first complete one. <laughs> but we hope that you join us for that. Please let us know what your thoughts are on the Conjuring franchise, on the first film, on the sequels, if you have any thoughts about them. We'd love to hear them. You can always reach us at Instagram or on our Facebook group. They're at Series of Horrors Podcast. And also, if you wanted to send us like feedback, movie suggestions, continue our lively debate that we had over email, you can do that. <laughs> Just you can send us email at seriesofhorrors at gmail.com. And also, if you like what you listen to and you think other people would enjoy this, horror fans, non-horror fans, hey, we try to be accessible to even people that always want to know what horror movies were like but can't quite watch them. This could be a nice little entry point to try to get them in to certain movies so um please just tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend you know just hey get the word out there also if you can wherever you watch us or listen to us on you know be it itunes spotify whatever if you can give us a nice little rating review it gets the word out there that people know about us get a fan or two out there you know start this community off pretty well mm-hmm. yeah and we love hearing from you guys we've we're hoping to have some more people join our Facebook group and continue the chats there. We have fun stuff always being posted there. In the meantime, have a good week. We'll see you next time. All right, guys. Bye. See you next week. Conjuring 2. Yeah. Got this. In Ireland, I see you. <laughs> Love you. Love you, Ireland. Bye. Bye.